Hey everyone, welcome to Game Face, episode 247 on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. I'm Shane Satterfield, the founder of Sifted, and we're here to talk with you for the next eh, couple hours about the hottest topics and games in the industry this week. Alongside me, I have Matt Kyle. What's going on, Matt? Same as always. <laughs> we had a little bit of an emergency there. While the show open was rolling, something was going on there on your end. What was up? Uh, it's just cat stuff. <laughs> cat stuff. <laughs> Uh, hope you guys are doing good. Uh, glad to be back doing this at our regular time at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern uh, here at twitch.tv slash siftedgames. Uh, Sifted is supported 100% by Patreon. If you like the show or anything else that we're doing, head on over to patreon.com slash sifted and kick us a couple bucks a month. Uh, every little bit makes a big difference for us. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at Dinfire. You can find Matt at mkyle. And if you can't afford to support us and you want to know when all the free stuff is going up on YouTube, you can follow Sifted at Sifted Games. Matt, it has been a really, really, really slow week in video games. Um, Like I alluded to in the show open, maybe a couple hour episode today. Like folks in Europe, I don't think you guys are going to end up staying up uh, too late this evening uh, because there just isn't a whole lot going on. We do have a bunch of topics, but... Looking at them, I'm guessing most of them are probably going to get through in about 10 minutes. So it could be a little bit of a shorter episode uh, than you're used to from Game Face. Matt, have you found anything really to play this week? No. Um, I haven't played much at all this week. Um, it's uh, it surprised me. Like I was just like, oh, it's March. Usually March has some stuff in it. Usually it's um, a great month. For the last few years, March has actually been like... One of those months where you're like, wow, look at March. Like, Capcom yeah. usually has something, and actually they do. Monster Hunter Rise is coming out. Capcom delivering again in March. Um, but usually there's, like, four or five big games in March. A lot of times, March is the month for games that they're trying to get in by fiscal, the end of the fiscal mm-hmm. year, um, for financial purposes. But for whatever reason, this year, like, this week there was, like, Monster Energy Supercross and, like, some, like, monster truck racing game. Just not a whole lot of releases coming out right now. Although, um, it's odd. Last week, our show was loaded with games. But uh, we got over the hump, and now we're just going to have to kind of work our way through the rest of March here. But Yeah, I mean, we had a we had a backlog of, of all February last week. To that's actually true, because we hadn't done a show because of my, my uh, health issues that I've been going through. Uh, we hadn't done a show for a few weeks. But really, we only brought back, what, one game? That we had missed. Even uh, I mean, it was Werewolf and Werewolf and Super Mario. Yeah, really. yeah. I guess Super Mario had been out for like a week when we talked about it at that point. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, we're doing the best that we can. We're definitely going to keep bringing you guys a show every week. And again, we're back on our normal schedule on Twitch on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Um, we're going to kick things off. Oh, actually, before we get going, you guys may have noticed that our Patreon received a little bit of an update. Uh, we've adjusted the tiers on our Patreon. Uh, probably the big thing that I think most people will notice is that some of the tiers are gone. Um, for instance, the Pactor Factor Party tiers are gone uh, because we pretty much figured out at this point that even for 2021, there's not going to be an E3, like an in-person E3. Uh, so, pa- so Pactor's Party isn't really worthy of a tier at this point. We're hoping in 2022 we'll be able to bring that back because it was popular. We did have people who uh, participated in those tiers, but those are gone Um, And then kind of in line with some of the things I've been talking about since I've had these health issues and kind of pairing things back a little bit, Ask Shane Anything is going to be different going forward. Uh, If you pledge at that $7 a month or more tier, we're going to start doing a live Zoom with all of you. Everyone who pledges at that tier or higher, 
the second Saturday of every month. Um, and that will become sort of the reward for those who pledge at that $7 tier. In fact, it's coming up this Saturday. Uh, so make sure you're around Patreon or whatever. You should get an alert because what we'll do is we'll send out a message to people at that tier and higher uh, with the info to call into our Zoom call. And we'll all get together. Um, you guys can ask me whatever you want, literally whatever you want. The call's going to last at least an hour, maybe a little longer. We'll see how it goes. Um, but anyway, that's how Ask Shane Anything is going to be done going forward. Instead of having separate episodes that need to be you know, asking for questions and then pre-producing it and then publishing it across all the different channels. We have to publish everything. It's just going to be a one-shot. Um, and then that will go up for everybody to watch eventually, but it'll be on a little bit of a delay as a reward for those of you who pledge at that $7 a month or more. So anyway, I really enjoy that part of Sifted. I love Ask Chain Anything. I love being connected with you guys. Um, and I'm, I tried to find a way to be able to do it so that we could all stay connected. And I think that's the best idea that I've come up with. So again... Look for it on Saturday. It'll be like mid to late afternoon my time, so late afternoon on the East Coast. It'll be pretty late for people in Europe. Um, I'll try not to do it too late uh, on Saturday afternoon so you guys can all participate. But you know what? It's Saturday night. You're probably going to be sitting up drinking beers, playing games anyway. So uh, it'll be fun. It'll be probably dozens of us all together. Uh, talking about games or whatever else you guys want to talk about, movies, TV shows, um, and it'll be fun. So anyway, just want to give you guys a heads up. We have not changed some other stuff on our Patreon. I'm working on that still. Uh, one thing you guys may not realize, the way our Patreon works is when you guys pay at the beginning of the month, you've actually paid for the month of content you already got. So anyone who signs up for our Patreon, everything you get that month is free. You haven't paid for it yet. Um, so when you guys just paid at the beginning of March, you're actually paying for all the content that you guys got in February. Um, so with that in mind, it's not a big deal for us to change our Patreon mid-month because you haven't paid for what we've done on the Patreon yet. I hope that makes sense. At least I think it does anyway. Um, anyway, let's kick off the show. We're going to kick it off with what probably is the biggest story of the week. Uh, we've been hearing rumors about a new, upgraded, more powerful, mo better switch for a long time now. Uh, but Bloomberg finally published something pretty definitive this week. And if you guys aren't aware, Bloomberg has kind of become the default, the de facto um, information for the industry. Ever since Jason Schreier went over there, and not every story comes from Jason, by the way, but ever since he went over there, not, it's not only him breaking big news at Bloomberg. There's a couple other guys that are over there working with him that are also breaking stories. And uh, Bloomberg broke another story this week, and that is that the people are calling it like the Switch Pro. People are calling it like... What's the other one? The Super Nintendo Switch? Which of those two yeah, do you like better, this, Matt? Uh, neither. Neither? <laughs> <laughs> I heard somebody say Super Switch, and they'll go to Switch 64. And this well, is the a, 64 yeah. is not going to work. I, li yeah. I like Super Nintendo Switch. I think that has a nice ring to it. Um, but my bet is on Switch Pro, um, because they already did the Switch Lite. Um, and so it seems like they're adding sort of the descriptors to the end of Switch instead of putting them yeah, in front. I don't know. I think they, they'll cause – I don't think Nintendo likes the pro idea. How come? Because I, I, I think it makes more of a like a pro amateur thing. Like Nintendo doesn't go for like like classifications like that. Well, the controller, um, obviously, the pro controller. Yeah, but I just don't – I don't – maybe but I just don't see. Also because that's like what the uh, PlayStation used. Yeah, um, that's true. So I, that's a I good think, point, actually. I, th I think they'll call it something else. Like, um, they'll either call it something like absurdly cutesy, like the Switch, the Switch Mega or something, or they'll Switch call XL it like or something maybe. 
Yeah, or they'll call it like the Switch Switch XL, maybe because that's what they called the 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 DS. Yep. Um, or they'll call it like uh, I don't know the Switch 4K or something. That probably is, is the best idea because it's yeah, descriptive I mean, of what, what it's going gonna for. Do. So yeah. Um, and so anyway, on that note, here's some of the first details that Bloomberg has reported about the upgraded Switch. Uh, the screen itself, on first of all, we should mention, it's going to continue to be a hybrid. It is going to continue to be a handheld console hybrid that will be docked. Um, when you're playing in handheld mode, the screen on the Switch is getting a pretty big upgrade. Uh, it's going to get an OLED screen at 720p. The current screen, mat is 480p, is that right? I thought it was 720. Is it already 720? So we're getting the same resolution, but just a better quality screen? Uh, Better quality screen and OLEDs uh, will use less power. Yeah, which can make a huge Um, difference with the battery. But it's just like people just say, oh, the biggest is it's 0.8 inches larger. Yeah. It's it's nothing. It's, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's bigger. It counts, but like they want 300 some dollars for this. That's pretty big. I mean. I mean, I don't use the handheld mode, so I don't care. Like, I use it sparingly, very rarely. Um, and usually, it's just, it's, I'm I'm just stunned at what a minimal upgrade this is. It seems to be, and like how people are just falling over themselves to give money, give Nintendo money for it. It's it's striking to me. Um, I you're, I'm going to need to see some real performance boosts in docked mode to be interested in this. And what they've said so far does not bode well to me. Well, they said it when it's docked, it'll be 4K. Um, sure. You don't think that's a big enough of an upgrade from 1080p? Because let's uh, be honest, gonna... some of those games are barely getting by at 1080p. Oh yeah, like how's it going to run? Like what? Like what's in it? Like that's what I want. Like we don't know anything about hardware, actual hardware upgrade in there, and what's that going to cost? Is it going to be just upscaled to 4K? Because like that's not the same thing. No, I mean um, that would be it... a huge disappointment in my opinion. Oh, agreed. Uh, but would it surprise you? No, it wouldn't. You mean if it just used checkerboarding? Yeah, if it's just it's just like yeah, using some kind of faking fake technology to get the 4K. So it basically yeah. tricks your TV into thinking it's 4K, but it's really not. That's what it really comes down to. Yeah, I mean, well, and like you know, if you're doing that, I mean, that's just an upscaler. Are they are they are they putting an upscaler in the thing? Or are they upgrading it to the point that like maybe bravely bravely default two uh, won't chug in the overworld anymore? You know, like it's. That kind of thing is what I'm talking about. I saw a feature on VentureBeat, not Digital Foundry, shockingly. It was on VentureBeat where they actually went through and, and looked at the options for this based upon the information that Bloomberg released. What actually can be done? Um, and the first the first option, obviously, is for a new Tegra chip that can do 4K. But VentureBeat went through like a million reasons why what that's probably not going to happen um, because it's really expensive because at that point, Nintendo would be asking NVIDIA to create and produce a custom chip because mm-hmm. NVIDIA Tegra is a chip that NVIDIA had lying around, which is made it cheap and made it easy for them to fit it into the form factor of the Switch. And VentureBeat believes that that is probably not going to happen. Um, and then it went through a list of like four other things that Nintendo could do to have a 4K console in that kind of a form factor. And it honestly wasn't sold that any of them were all that feasible. Um after the impression I got after reading that article was like, this thing may not happen, to be perfectly honest with you. It seemed mm-hmm. like the cost and every I mean, they haven't said anything about cost yet. That's one kind of important thing we should mention. 
Um, uh, they said better battery life, but they didn't say anything about, you know, is the cost going to stay the same? Are they going to drop the price of the old Switch when this happens? But Venture Beat really struggled to find a way that Nintendo could make this happen without the cost being outrageous. And as we know, that's always a big concern with Nintendo and hardware, is the cost. So, I don't know. It seems... It seems a little far-fetched that they could get a 4K yeah. console into that form factor to be that isn't doing something yeah, like checkerboarding. Especially because we what we know about Nintendo is this stuff's going to be off-the-shelf parts. It's, they're not going to custom build something for an in, for an interim system like this. Like for a new Switch, sure. This doesn't seem like the Switch Two. This seems like a stepping stone. Um, so to me, I, you know, maybe it's just going to be slightly overclocked. I don't know. Like it, it, I'm not expecting much of a big boost out of this. Uh, certainly not to the point that I would be willing to spend the money it's going to cost. And then what uh, happens with when, like the switch light? So if you upgrade this thing, what the switch light just stays the more underpowered version of the console or do you upgrade the light as well? What do you think they'll do with that? I mean, I would guess the light just remains what it is and yeah. it becomes the kind of the, the economy model. And this one repla- eventually replaces the existing switch. Okay. Um, and then another thing that was, that they talked about that was also a little dicey to me is that there will be exclusives games that can only be played on the new, more powerful switch. But Bloomberg also said that, those will most likely be third-party games, meaning games that third-party publishers make that maybe they've wanted to get on Switch all this time, and they just weren't able to because the Switch wasn't powerful enough. Do you think that's a good idea, Matt? Um, I don't know if it's a good idea, but it's like about all that's left. Um, I you really... know, as we've talked about before, you're splitting your user base at that point, and we know yeah. with the new Nintendo 3DS, there was... A, all kinds of problems with that. Like, there were well, over- for the three games they made for it. I yeah. think there actually ended up being like 12 or 13 games that were exclusive to run on that thing. I um, think there were only like four anyone cared about, though. Yeah, yeah. The rest of um, yeah, you're right. It's but. just like, you know, like how many, how many Ubisoft shovelware games do you care that run slightly higher on the new 3DS? But like, I guess um, you got to do it sometime. I don't know if this is the, the upgrade to do it. Like, it seems to me that like, an upgraded switch at this point, your goal is to make the stuff that's already on the switch run properly. Yep. Like you you don't have the overhead to start doing games that only run on the new hardware. Like the, you, you need to make sure like your, your bog standard JRPG doesn't run it <laughs> drops to 15 frames a second. When I go near a mountain, like it's, it's yeah. like you got bigger fish to fry than selling me like exclusive games for the new like one step up the staircase bit of hardware like that's a that's a cart before the horse thing if i ever heard it like it just it seems like you you're you're you should be more interested in running breath of the wild at a decent like resolution than uh worrying about like selling me like exclusive games i can only play on this new system uh, i i cannot imagine the power boost that's going to be in this thing, if anything, is going to be is going to warrant that kind of a thing. I could because the new 3DS really was a jump from the old 3DS. Oh yeah, and I sure. do not see the jump on this being that big. Really, from 1080p to 4K, even if it's checkerboarded. Because I'll say this: like I don't think that Pro, 4K is. I don't think it's, you're talking. You're talking about a PS4 in a box at that point. If you're running a 4K, yeah. even like that's this has got to be some kind of upscaler. Like that, if the problem is like the, 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 you know, the, the, the little, uh, the dock just doesn't do that. 
right now. You know, the dock just yeah. does 1080p and that's it. If it's just a new dock that has a different upscaler that can do a checkerboard 4K, like you're technically not lying on the box, but you haven't really boosted the power of the switch. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you can still get it to fit in that smaller form factor. Yeah. And the, and, you know, and the screen's 720p, just like the old one. So you're not, you don't need to have a power boost to reach that. You just have a better quality piece of hardware in the screen. Yep. Um, that might just be all it is. Like mm. it's, it's a better quality screen on the handheld mode and the dock has an upscaler that gets you to 4k instead of 1080p and calls it a day. Um, that seems pretty in line with Nintendo's comfort level in terms of hardware upgrades to me. Cause Matt, um, doesn't it really make more sense if. And it would keep the price around the same area. Yeah. I mean, to me for a mid gen upgrade and let's be honest, like it's still mid gen for switch. It's only been out yeah. for like oh, four yeah. years at this point. It's, it's not an old system. It's like four years this week or right. something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's anniversary is here. So it is a mid like gen upgrade for Nintendo. It seems like it would make more sense what you're talking about than to go full bore. Here's our full blast 4K console. Because mm-hmm. honestly, once Nintendo gets to that, we may never see another Nintendo console. Once a Nintendo has a 4K console, what more does it need to do other than maybe create new controllers or interfaces and things like that? Um, does it make more sense to do something like you're talking about and then save like the full on 4K monster? For three years from now, when they're ready to release the Switch 2, like the proper sequel to Switch. I mean, I think that's what they're doing. Like, would I prefer to have, you know, a more powerful Switch now? Sure. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think they're just doing this little minimal thing and calling it a day. Because like you said, it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense to launch their new system now. And if you're really going to throw new custom hardware in one of these things, that's what that would have to be. Like you, you'd have, you have a much bigger bit of fanfare for that. That would, you, you, that's a switch two basically. And I don't see a switch two this year because I think you like, it's, you know, like you said, four years, uh, judging by how this, how the system and the games are selling, you are maybe midpoint now. Like there's no reason not to milk this thing for another four years. And if we know Nintendo. And they will. Yeah. And Nintendo will, but also it just makes business sense. Like, yeah. like you, you have no reason to replace this system right now. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's in the prime of its life. Basically. Now it does hurt with third parties because there are yeah. lots of games that third parties would like to get on the switch that with the system that you're proposing, it probably isn't going to help much. Um, no, I don't think it will. Yeah. Um, Getting that stuff like, to run at a decent frame rate still right. probably. I mean, that's what I'd be after myself as a consumer, but that, that doesn't mean that's what Nintendo's going to do. Like, I am a high-end user in that regard. Most people don't care about that stuff. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, I think it would be beneficial to Nintendo going forward in terms of third-party work um, that if the, you know, the, the hypothetical Switch 2 down the line catches up hardware-wise to the competition. Yeah. Like, if you can find some kind of parity in terms of power with what the other, what Sony and Microsoft are doing just for the sake of not having to come to third parties and be like, oh yeah, by the way, can you make a special version of your game that takes into account that our hardware sucks? I mean, it's like, funny because there are features about like Apex Legends on Switch where they go and they talk to the developer about like, how did you do it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's like working magic. And they're, you know, they're, it's like a cottage industry of feature articles about how did you get game X, Y, or Z to work on Switch? It's a miracle yeah. that you got it to work. And like, that's 
And that's a tradition of Nintendo hardware. I mean, Nintendo takes advantage of their hardware very well, but there's always been a tradition of like, you know, like Factor 5 uh, continually revolutionized how sound worked on the Nintendo 64 music, and going yeah. forward. And help, to the point that they help, they let them help design the sound system in the GameCube yep. when the next generation rolled around. Yep. Angel Studios figured out how to run FMV off of a Nintendo 64 cart. Um, like there's always been that element of like these ambitious, talented third party <laughs> studios that are so frustrated with the limitations of Nintendo hardware. They basically force, so find, they find a way to make it do what everyone else is doing. Rare. So they don't have to handicap their hair. Rare. Think about all the, the stuff time. that Rare used to do on Nintendo hardware. I don't know if you've been following like the whole dinosaur planet thing that's been going on the last yeah, like, few weeks. It's, it's pretty amazing looking at dinosaur planet N64, what that game was going to be. Holy mm -hmm. moly, that Rare got that to run on the N64. Like, I've been yeah. watching, like, the comparisons between the N64 game and the GameCube that version that actually came out. And sure, the GameCube blows it away, but it hangs. Like, the N64 version mm -hmm. can kind of hang in some of the You can tell scenes. what it is, yeah. It's and pretty like, incredible it's, what Rare is. It's all there. It's, it's a uh, shame. It's interesting. Those it still have, runs should have like never 15, parted ways. Should have it never still runs at 15. Far, I mean, I don't know if that would have mattered. Um it, you know, I, 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 a lot of the people that made uh, rare what it was at that time were gone. Yeah. By the time you know, later but I don't inside. think they would have left if they had kept that relationship going. In fact, I just uncovered, I was digging around th through like old content that I created. I found an old interview that I did with Perrin Kaplan. You remember her from Nintendo? Yeah. Like she used to be like the spokesperson for NOA. Yeah, she was she was the Reggie. Yeah, and I did an interview with her on GameSpot that I found like this past week just digging around. And I was like, holy crap. First of all, I had some balls. Like the questions I was asking her, I was like, man, for someone who had just started in the industry like 12 months earlier, I was pretty ballsy. But I've grilled her over Rare. And it was literally like, I looked at the date it was like two months before Rare left Nintendo. And I was like, so what's going on? Like, Rare's leaving, right? They're going to start making uh, games for other platforms. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. They're working on our Star Fox game. Totally denied everything. It's so funny looking at that stuff in hindsight. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like that's a, that was a match made in heaven. I don't think that those two companies should have ever split up. Nintendo was totally stupid for doing that. But anyway, um, back to the Super Switch. I, I think I do tend to agree with you, Matt. I think it's going to be... I think people might ultimately end up being a little disappointed with what Nintendo does with this this Switch revision. <laughs> I um, mean, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen are, like all the are hype. You just getting here because it's kind <laughs> of like <laughs> well, I mean, how it goes. Be, I don't, I don't leave sifted honestly. Like, I don't go on Twitter right. looking for game stuff. So, oh no, I just mean in terms of how Nintendo runs its quote unquote upgrade business. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're just talking earlier about been, how people are like never put their anything minds. out that makes you go like, oh wow, that's amazing. That's exactly what we wanted. Like, no one does. Yeah, it's yeah. It's always what Nintendo's like, oh, here's a little thing. Here's a little better thing to buy. <laughs> if you haven't bought it yet, it's cool for you kind well, you of thing. Were, you were talking like, earlier about how the Nintendo fans are losing their minds. And I don't see yeah. that because I'm always on Sifted and we're all older there. And we don't really do that kind of stuff. Like everyone's kind of level-headed and everyone's been yeah, following I mean, the industry long enough. I see it on Twitter. and like yeah, They don't reset, go to those places anymore. And so. Reset Era, like Reset Era. like you know, That's probably it, where you're seeing it's everything. I, I, it always reminds I mean, me of. Reset era um, should probably be called like Nintendo era. Let's be honest. It is pretty much um, one of the fastest ways to get banned. There seems to be to bad mouth Nintendo. raise any skepticism about Nintendo not being the greatest company on earth. Yep. Um, 
were to say an unkind word about Iwata. I mean, it's uh, been that, that gaming age was kind of that way too, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. Before yeah, everybody I mean, left there and went to reset era. So yeah, it's it's just sort of you know there's there's a there's a subset of the hardcore gaming world that is obsessed with Nintendo, uh, and there's no way around it. Yep. Um, and that's just sort of how it is, and you get you, you deal with it. But like, um, yeah, it always reminds it reminds me of that old Penny Arcade. Um, strip where like will wright's given a speech and he's just like my new game is just called p i'm gonna pee on the audience and we're gonna see what happens and some p might get in your hair it might get in your mouth and i think that's interesting and exciting for storytelling opportunities and the whole audience is just screaming yes pee on us will Wright." <laughs> and that's sort of what nintendo yeah. fandom is to me it's not just um, nintendo though i mean there are playstation fans like oh that, there's sony or, people you know i, I feel the same like way about the sony people that are like incredibly weird about like sony games going to pc oh yeah it's we'll, like you'd we'll say talk God about of War that might, later on in the show. <laughs> you say God of War might go to PC, and you get people that like think that you're talking about war crimes or yeah. something. It's just it's bizarre. Let's fire up the tribunal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about a game that was announced this week, and a pretty exciting game, depending on your perspective. Uh, and that game is called Aliens Fire Team. Matt, anything Aliens related? As soon as I see it or I hear about it, the first person I think of is you. Um, because you have very strong opinions about the Aliens IP. Uh, this is the first. It's true. This is the first Aliens game since Isolation, which I had completely forgotten was launched in 2014. Yeah, it's been almost seven years since we've had an Aliens video game. This now, game, to be fair, that, that Isolation was great. So yes, it was um, shockingly good. I was kind of hoping there might be another one, but uh, yeah, I, I think people are a little disappointed. To. Honestly. Um, at least it seems like most of the chatter I've seen about this game, and I haven't seen a lot, but it seems like most of the chatter I've seen, people are disappointed that it isn't an Isolation 2 or, or a spiritual successor to that game. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that precludes that from happening. It's just, I I feel like Creative Assembly like just nailed it, and like there doesn't necessarily seem to be a way to follow that up, really. Yeah. It's also notable that, like, I mean, Alien Isolation is called Alien Isolation. Yeah. Yep. This is Aliens yep. Fire Team. Like the Alien and Aliens are two different things. Alien is a is a horror movie. Aliens is an action movie. That's true. Um with horror elements, but yeah. it's still an act. I mean Aliens um if you it's funny to see like younger people watch Aliens for the first time because they basically come away being like that was fine but like it's just cliche after cliche after cliche and I'm like yeah because all those clichés come Came from, from Aliens, aliens. <laughs> like, like, they, like they that's started the cliche that movie was <laughs> That's, that is hilarious. They don't realize how old those movies are, that those weren't cliches back when those movies were made, that, yeah, that they like, made aliens, the cliche. Aliens basically codified how sci-fi action works. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that was the genius of Cameron, was like he he made a completely different film from the original horror. I mean, the original Alien is basically a slasher movie in space. Yep. Um, and then he's like, oh, we're just going to... The funny thing is, like, that basically what Aliens was, was uh, Cameron had pitched a Rambo sequel. Uh, basically, what, what, what Rambo 2 what would have been. And they turned it down. So he pretty much took his script idea for Rambo 2 and turned it into Aliens. Huh. It's, you know, it's a traumatized veteran going back to where they were traumatized with a platoon of Marines to ready face to, their fears and win ready. this time. <laughs> That's funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. So this is actually like a Left 4 Dead clone set in the Aliens yeah. universe. Um, it appears, Which I think makes a lot of sense. 
It does like, or doesn't it, to you? It does. it does. Like for for aliens, if you're going to think of aliens, um, you know, you, you think of two things. You think of get away from her, you bitch, with the yep. with the alien queen, <laughs> and you think of the Marines, the Space Marines, yeah. uh, and like this having the Space Marine. And look, like Gearbox tried it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And do you think that stench might? Float over top of this game. People remembering I, that game. I don't think so because Colonial Marines was was a single player like kind of campaign driven thing, and this seems like more like a straight Left for Dead yeah. clone. Um, and I would hope that they know uh, making this that like you're going to need to be real upfront about everything. Like you're going to need to you take into account what Gearbox did to this IP and win some of that tra- even though it's not their fault yep. you know the people making this did not do that um but you're gonna have to like show that you know the ai works that the game is finished that you weren't like doing weird funding crap with sega you know it's like it's, just it's, not lying about the game in general yeah. i mean that was really gearbox's problem is, is it, it promised things that it didn't deliver mm-hmm. i mean i will always love that one uh that one clip where the alien just walks right past the guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, rrr, 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 rrr. and I will always also love that they figured was it last year, year before where somebody figured out that like, if you just change like one character in the INI file, it fixes the AI. Yeah. Like it was one yeah. thing. And they, like they couldn't one. figure it out. Gearbox couldn't yeah. figure it out. It is pretty um, sad. Um, but so, this but is like, a I, left I, I think clone. this is a really good idea for a game. Yeah. Um, I have no issue whatsoever with this being because like isolation, like what I like more isolation sort of, but also isolation was too long and um, yeah, it did drag really on long. It's like 20 hours. Yeah. It's a lot. of That's a lot of sneaking. It is. Um, yeah. And also like, I can't think of a whole lot isolate that you could do better in a, in an isolation sequel. Um, but again, this is aliens, and it doesn't mean you can't do isolation too. Yeah. Um, there's so there's such different treatments of the same IP that if Creative Assembly for what I mean, I feel like that would have happened by now. It's been it's been seven years. Yeah, I think Creative um, Assembly has moved on. Maybe, maybe the struggle is finding a studio that you trust to be able to do that's kind of right. a, that type of game Cause, justice. Right, because the tech behind isolation is fascinating, and I uh-huh. don't know if you would. It's, it's funny because like I was like, oh, Creative Assembly, like they make grand strategy games they make like what and the funny thing is when you look at how isolation works it's like it kind of took strategy gurus to make that system happen like it was like the two there's two ais in that thing that are that are one is the alien being the alien and the other is sort of a an omniscient ai that always knows where everything is but doesn't tell the ai alien everything but they but tells it just enough to make everything creepy yeah. Like it tells it everything enough just to keep everything tense. Yeah, that's true. And it's like it's if you ever if, it's like a bunch of YouTube videos about how the AI system in isolation works. And if you haven't watched it, you should because they're it's fascinating. Yep. Um, that will probably not be in play in Fire Team, <laughs> I would imagine. So um, this game does seem to be like an elevator to elevator sort of experience. You fight mm-hmm. from one elevator to the next, um, or one airlock to the next, as it were. Uh, it appears to be just three players instead of four, which I was a little bit surprised at for a game that's uh, coming in 2021. And that's the other part, too. The game is coming soon. It's coming here in the next couple months to everything, literally everything but Switch. Um, it's coming for last-gen plus next-gen consoles and PC, just not Switch. Um, and I don't think Stadia either, if I remember correctly. So it's coming pretty soon, um, and we're checking out B-roll right now, courtesy of IGN. Um, they have like 25 minutes of gameplay and we're showing some of that right now. Um, one thing that I do like is I like that there are a lot of like gadgets and things like that that you can use. I'm a sucker for turrets. 
um, and mm-hmm. using turrets in games like this, strategically placing them in, in certain points where you can uh, get the most bang for the buck. Uh, there's lots of different turret types that you can uh, use in this game. And the action is intense. There's very little downtime. Um, when they first started showing the gameplay on IGN, like they're just kind of walking around explaining how the game works. But once it starts to kick in, it's just nonstop action. So it's not like this wave sort of style where you take on this big wave of enemies and then you get like a moment to like take your to kind of get a breath and set up your stuff and then you know heal and heal everybody else on your squad. It's just like it appears to be just nonstop carnage. Um, and the AI of the enemy seems to be pretty smart. Uh, the way that they traverse the level seems to be pretty intelligent, uh, which to me also is a big deal in games like this. They do seem to be pretty accurate with their acid bombs. Like, there's a couple shots in, in this footage where one of the necromorphs throws an acid bomb from, like, 200 yards away and, like, drops it right on your noggin. That stuff gets a little annoying, I think. Um, but otherwise, it looks like it's just action-packed from the minute you get off the elevator until you make it to the next one. Um, I didn't get to see any boss fights in the footage that they've shown so far, but there is a wide variety of creatures. There's um, 20... you got to assume there's a queen in there somewhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, there's 20 different types of enemies in, in what will come at launch. Um, this is also set after the movie trilogy, 23 years after the trilogy ends. Um, so I don't think you're going to see a lot of characters that maybe you know from the films. A lot of them are no. dead anyway, but... <laughs> They're all dead. I guess they are all dead. <laughs> Yeah. Um, unless, unless you're a big fan of a couple of the prisoners from Alien 3, like you're pretty yeah. much stuck. Yeah, that's true. So you're going to get all new characters in this, but you're going to get a lot of enemies that uh, you're familiar with. There's five different classes. Uh, there's a gunner, a demolisher, a technician, a doctor, and a recon class. Um, there are four different campaign, four story campaigns, and there's three missions inside each campaign. So basically 12 missions that you can play through in the base game. Um uh, there's weapon customization. It's not really a game as a service, though, Matt. There's no DLC, or no, I'm sorry, there's no uh, loot boxes, there's no mic- microtransactions, but there will be DLC. Um, so they're kind of following the recent trend of, you know what, we're not going to be scummy, but we're going to keep supporting this game long after it launches, which I think that's what everybody wants right now. Yeah, um, I mean, that. I think the microtransaction game as a service thing is on the way out. For sure. Like it's, it's just too many high-profile failures in that space right now. Yep. And if you choose to play by yourself, the your two teammates can be taken over by AI. So um, you're not, like, ass out mm. if you can't find people to play well, with. Well, I mean, that also was true of Left 4 Dead, and that was basically impossible. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, but it's been a long time since Left 4 Dead, so I'm hoping that true. maybe some advances could help a little bit. Uh, but games like this, you want to play with your friends. I mean, that's when they really hit their stride, and that's when you really kind of see the real value from them. So... Um, I'm pretty excited for this, Matt, to be honest with you. I was surprised yeah, by World War idea. Z. I had a lot of fun with that, even though that game looked, you know, like yeah. not, nowhere near as well, good as this. Well, I'm certainly more interested in this than another zombie game. Yep. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, the IP helps a lot in this case. Yep. And World War Z was smart in that it didn't choose to use the slow shambling zombies. It used, like, the World War Z zombies, the ones that yeah. run really fast well, and... The, the movie World War Z. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never read the books, so I don't, I don't the book, even... The book is good, the, but it is not... The, it is basically unrelated to the film. Oh, okay. The film, though, where you just have these massive hordes that literally yeah. climb on top of each other and run really fast. That's what you got in World War Z, and I think that's why it worked. Um, and I think a lot of people are actually checking that game out now on Game Pass, um, World War Z. And if you do have Game Pass, I do recommend checking it out. It's a good primer for, uh, for this game. 
Um, but it is coming to everything. It's coming soon, here in just the next month or two. I'm surprised they waited so long to unveil this. Um, but that does kind of seem to be the trend lately, is show a game, show it when it's almost done, so people can't whine and bitch about it, uh, and then release it a couple months later. And uh, I really don't have any issues with that, but with a license this big, an IP this big, I do wonder if they would have had a better chance of reaching some of the more mainstream audiences if they had gave it a little bit more runway uh, than they Maybe. I think for these, like, multiplayer-focused games, it's better to, like, hit, hit fast. Um, cause like people's attention span on these things can move so quick that like, it's probably better to be like, Hey, there's a thing coming. Oh no. Oh, it's already here. Okay. Go play. It's like, you know, like, I think that's part of the strategy with games like this is like, you got to catch the, catch the attention right away. No one's going to sit around for six months waiting and anticipating, uh, an aliens left for dead clone. But like, you might jump in and be like, you see it for the first time. And then three weeks later, there's a beta, you know, like, yeah. I think that's part of the the theory. Yeah, Matt, I don't know if you've seen or not either since last week's episode, but I was not alone in liking Out Outriders. Apparently, everybody really likes it. Mm. Uh, the response to the demo, beta, whatever you want to call it, has been really positive. So yeah. you have that even coming Marcus out. Even Marcus liked it. What did you say? Even Marcus liked it. Oh, he did? I didn't even see yeah, that. I think so. I think he I remember. He actually liked something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I read it. That's when you know him. something must be pretty good if Marcus actually liked it. Um, so you have that coming soon, and then you have this. So... I mean, they're different, but not that much different, in all honesty. Uh, mm. So it'll be interesting to see as this genre becomes more and more crowded, uh, which games end up bubbling up to the top, which ones succeed, which ones don't. And I think a lot of it's going to have to do with, you know, how do they handle that period after launch? You know, the the, the six-week, the eight-week period. As we've seen with a lot of games that do okay out of the gate, if they can't support it at, like, eight weeks and they haven't got a good plan for it, and we're going to talk about a game in a little bit that's kind of like that, if they don't have that, then they can find themselves in a lot of trouble. So uh, we'll see how they support this. I like that you know there's no loot boxes, there's no microtransactions, but there is DLC. I like the weapon customization. I think that always adds a, a nice little layer to stuff that maybe some other games can't do that are maybe superhero styled or something like that. Um, but it is gonna, there is going to be a lot of competition for this game, and it'll be interesting to see which ones kind of end up uh, coming out on top. But anyway, that's Aliens Fire Team again coming to everything but Switch. And coming in a couple months. Um, right now, there's not much coverage of it. Uh, if you go to the game page on Sifted, there's just a trailer that we showed you and then the chunk of gameplay from IGN. But I have a feeling here in the next couple weeks, it's going to start, we're going to start getting a lot of coverage for that game because they need to. There's like a lot of stuff that they need to talk about. There's a lot of content that they can still talk about to get people hyped for it. Um, and it is aliens. And I think there is, I think people do resonate with that IP still, even though it's been a long time since we got a game, which is crazy, Matt. Like, Aliens made for video games. There should be more of them. I'm not saying yeah, keep well, putting out crap. Have... There should be more good Aliens games than what we've got. Yeah, there also it's also kind of there have been a good number of good Aliens games, but like they're spread out. The, the IP's been in a bit of a funk for two movies now. Um, yep. So uh, it's I don't know. It's uh, it's probably about time to resurrect that stuff. And and bring it in. Maybe resurrect is a bad word in the aliens <laughs> world. I mean, I, I like it better than three, which is complete shit. But like um, Prometheus is terrible. Alien Covenant is worse. Um, the Aliens versus Predator movies are unwatchable. Like it's a, it's been a very long. Yeah, I was ten the last time a good Alien movie came out. So the games are at least doing better than that. I'd agree. I'd agree wholeheartedly. Uh, we're gonna go from actually we're gonna go from one game based on a film to another game that's based on a film series. We're going to talk about Hogwarts Legacy. We've 
Have we did we actually talk last week about what's been going on with this game? No. Okay. So to fill you in, and I'm sure you guys watch other podcasts, but in case you do only watch or listen to Game Face, what's been going on with this game is, well, first of all, we have talked about J.K. Rowling and how yeah. she's kind of transphobic and fans. No, of, kind of. Not, yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know a whole lot about her comments or anything like that in those in that arena, but but Cribno's version is. She's been abrasive towards uh, transgenders. She's transphobic, according to some people. And some people are unhappy that uh, she is going to make some profit off of this game. And Warner Brothers has tried to smooth that over and been like, you know, she has no input on the content in the game. But yes, we will admit she is going to make some money off of it. There's nothing we can do because it's her IP. Um, and then they announced that you actually be able to play as a trans, a trans, trans characters inside the game, um, which I think showed... Maybe that was Warner Brothers saying, look, see, like she's not controlling the content in this game. Yeah, I think that's definitely them trying to Sand say, like, the, the, pe- you know, the, the people making this do not share her opinions on the subject. Yep. Um, which is fair because it's like, you know, the, the, the Rowling thing is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a conundrum. And uh, in, in a way, not, not so much to me because I'm not, you know, we're a little old to have had a lot of emotional investment in Harry Potter. Uh, but I know a lot of people in their 20s who grew up with it. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of big, you know, their their big thing is like, like, what if, um, you know, like, like people don't have a big problem, like continuing to support like, um, like a bigger franchise, like a like a movie thing, if even if there's like maybe someone higher, yeah, like, like maybe you think um, you you agree with Ray Ray Fisher, the guy who played Cyborg in Justice League, and that he would that the, that Whedon was terrible and that kind of thing, or like yeah, but and you know with other stuff that came out about Whedon, but a lot of the, a lot of people I know who like Buffy are like, well, I'm still going to support and enjoy Buffy the Vampire Slayer because there's a lot more people involved in making that than just Joss Whedon, mm-hmm. right? Um, with with Harry Potter, it all goes back to her. It does. Like one yeah. person wrote those books, one person owns that IP, one person like benefits from it the most. Like it's it, you know, it she's at the it. top of that pyramid. So it's a it's kind of a unique situation because you don't. It's funny you don't really get that anymore. No, you know, like you, <laughs> you don't, don't get a George Lucas anymore who sits at the top of that corporate pyramid and rules that IP anymore. It's usually what about more of maybe a George R.R. R. Martin. Would he be one? Yeah. George R.R. R. Martin yeah. would probably be one. Um, I, I feel like, but you're right. Uh, They're very rare. It's very uncommon. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And so Rowling kind of being at the top of that pyramid and undislodgeable, like, you know, guys, I know a couple of people that's like, well, they should just try to get it away from her. And I'm like, there's just no way. You can you can't. do that. You can't like, do that. You can't. She created it. I mean, it's, it wouldn't yeah. be right, to be honest with you. Like, it is her creation. And sadly, you have to take the good with the bad. I hate to say it. Like, mm. these people were okay with her whenever she was making stuff that they didn't object to. Now they object to some of the stuff that she's been saying or maybe may or may not incorporate into the IP going forward. Like, unfortunately, it's just something that people are going to have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she's going to incorporate anti-trans yeah, rhetoric into future Harry Potter stuff. Yeah, but that like, would be a huge mistake. That would, yeah, yeah, even she knows uh, for all her babbling on Twitter about turfy stuff, like, she knows not to do that. Yeah, um, and she's allowing this in the game, so... Yeah, I mean, I'm curious like what the rules are. I mean, she's, gener- she's traditionally had pretty strong veto power 
over things that Warner Brothers does. So uh, it's interesting. And I, I mean, a part of me wants to know is like, did she know this was in the game? Did they announce this and kind of dare her to tell them to take it out kind of thing? Right. Um, it's interesting. It's uh, the political uh, struggles that would might be happening internally on this because you know Warner Brothers, you know, doesn't want that controversy no, surrounding they just this want IP. people to enjoy their freaking Harry Potter game. Yeah, they just want your money. They don't want yeah. you to think about where it's going. You know? Yeah, they don't want and, they don't want controversy around a game that a lot of kids are going to play. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a game that's targeted towards young kids and tweens, and and then older kids like us. In all honesty, who grew up with Harry Potter. Um, and I agree, this isn't the type of IP that you want controversy like this around. And then the real reason we're talking about this is because... Yeah, at least Walt Disney had his, had the sense to keep all his horrible opinions to himself. Exactly, and he did have a lot, and that is fair. <laughs> I mean, Walt Disney was not the man that a lot of people kind of look at him to be. No, and he would be the first person to admit that. Like, yep. he would, he said stuff like, he's like, he's like, he's like, I am not Walt Disney. Like, Walt Disney is a character that I play on those show that I present to the public. That's not, you know, they wouldn't even show him smoking in the Mary Poppins movie they just made about, you know, uh, saving Mr. Banks. Um, You heard him cough once and that was it. But in reality, Walt Disney smoked like a chimney. Like it was, but they will never show you that. Yeah. And they shouldn't because I don't want kids. Like it is fair to say, you know, not everybody's Mr. Rogers. I mean, yeah. Mr. Rogers is pretty accurate to his real he life. Is, he is the behavior. exception. You know? Yeah, he actually like that, was that they, nice. They can't, you know, that's a one in a billion thing. Like, yeah. you, you know, you, you, it's okay to play this persona public facing, but then like, you know, social media has sort of, you know, in a pre Twitter world, we wouldn't have probably never known that JK Rowling thought these shitty yeah. things. And I also think it's okay to keep that reality away from young kids. Like if they're enjoying yeah. the media, that these people are creating, there's no reason to spoil that by saying this this guy isn't who you think he is. Like, let them have their mm. fantasy until they're yeah, like. Yeah, like 12. if I had, if I had younger kids who like enjoyed Harry Potter, I certainly wouldn't take it away from them because she'd said something yeah. horrible. I would probably try to limit my amount of money I spent on it. Yeah, but at the same time, even like you know, going to Universal Studios to Harry the Harry Potter place there, it's like it's like. Does she get like a cut of of the money when you buy a butter beer? Maybe I but, think she you know, probably like, does. <laughs> probably, but there's also like I, I think actually I think the license for that is paid yearly. Like they just lump summer uh, okay. every year. But still, but she's also, making a little also, money like, on it. There's a also there's a lot of people between her and there. You know, yeah. you know it's like oh of course you, you can. It's like you got the people working at the park. You got the people that work at the. I mean, there's there's a huge you know machination there, and everybody kind of has to make their own decision on that sort of thing. Yep. Um, you know, whether to buy the, you know, I, I watch a, a trans YouTuber who talks about this stuff all the time. And she has, she's talked about this very issue a couple of times. And she's like, I really want to play this game. And I'm trying to come up with ways to justify to myself how to play it. Like she's, <laughs> you know, she, she's like, I, I'll buy it used or I'll borrow it from someone or I'll, I'll buy the game and then donate an equal amount to like a trans <laughs> charity. She's like, but she's like, I grew up with this stuff. And I, this yeah. is like my dream Harry Potter game. And I, I have to find a way to do this. That doesn't make me feel like I'm betraying myself basically. Hear, and I it's hear. a horrible position to put, have it yourself is. put in. It's, I, I feel really bad for people, you know, like I don't have that con conflict with star wars but yeah. if i did i would i i can't imagine what i would be the conflict like, the, 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 the hoops i'd be jumping through <laughs> mentally to justify that to myself it would suck look the reason we're really talking about this though isn't really jk rowling because we've talked about that on game face before 
The reason we're talking about it today is because the lead designer on the game, who who came one out, of. he's a he's, he's, he's not like the director, but he's one of the. Well, his title like was the, lead designer on the game. Yeah, but they they have a bunch of lead designers okay. there. Well, um, one of the lead designers on the game, it was uncovered, I believe, by. Did you know gaming of all places? The YouTube channel. <laughs> Did you know gaming? There's, there's a place that doesn't break the news. Very yeah, often. but they broke this, and they found out that he had posted all these hateful things mm-hmm. about GamerGate and other topics years ago. Um, he is a, was a GamerGater, and he defended GamerGate. And if you've watched Game Face for any amount of time, you know that we despise GamerGate, and we always will, and we we'll always stand up against it. Um, but he was a part of it, and he tried to defend GamerGate, and at first, among many other things, I mean, among, he, yeah. he had a very, very prolific number of shitty opinions. Yep. Um, and at first, it appeared that he was going to stay in his position um, on Hogwarts Legacy. Because mm-hmm. I think the last video he put up was like 2015 or so. It, yeah. it had been a long time. Like he, he had gone pretty silent on that YouTube channel, even though he'd left everything up, obviously. Yep. And claimed that, uh, that Avalanche knew and Warner Brothers knew about all of it. And claimed initially that he was going to stay. And like you said, that they knew about it and it wasn't like a deal breaker for them. They weren't looking to fire him. And then this week he announced that he was, in fact, leaving the development team. Um, And he still reiterated that in his mind that both Avalanche and Warner Brothers still did not have any problems with the stuff that he had created back in 2015 or whatever year it was. Um, That this was his own decision that he decided to make. And then he said... And keep an eye on my YouTube channel because I'm going to talk yeah. about all this stuff on my YouTube channel. So, Matt, one, do you think really that Avalanche and Warner Brothers didn't care? No. I don't either. I, I think they probably raised some concerns and he was like, well, I'm not taking them taking it down. And because, uh, you know, right along the lines of the whole like, you know, it's like, no, you can't cancel my opinion. It's like, OK, um, you know, it's, it's hot right now. And um, mm-hmm. my guess with no evidence to back it up is that he maybe was just like, OK, I'm just going to go. Like, you know, I'm going to you can't you can't fi- you can't quit me. I fire you. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, he's like, because I feel like, you know, in his position, maybe he thinks that uh, that the grift is hot. You know, like maybe he, if he goes back to his YouTube channel and starts like, you know, makes himself sort of a a paints himself as a perfect victim of cancel culture. He can make more money off the suckers that will contribute to his Patreon than uh, he would make developing the Harry Potter game. I, I tend to agree with you. Um, the fact that he would make the announcement and then make the point, I believe, twice in the announcement that, hey, check out my YouTube channel, YouTube video coming again. Don't forget, I got this YouTube video that's coming. Um, and also, I think he probably looked at it like, you know what? This job kind of sucks. <laughs> like, yeah, like I'm I mean, working look, like really long a, hours. <laughs> being a YouTuber is no is no picnic either, but at least you're working for yourself. Well, I mean, I don't know, Matt. Sometimes I'm pretty blown away by some of these YouTubers who maybe just do like a podcast like two times a week. And then every once in a while, they'll show a clip from their house and they're filthy rich. Like they have like... A gigantic in-ground swimming pool in California, and they're living in a mansion, and they've got, like, a Ferrari and a Porsche in their driveway. Like, it blows me away sometimes how much money some of these people make. Like, Yeah, but you don't know how much debt there is there. That could be. I mean, they could. you're right. They could be taking out loans on that stuff. I don't know. But look, my point is, is there's a lot of money to be made 
for certain types of people on YouTube. And I could mm-hmm. honestly see where he would look at it and be like, you know what? Like, for a certain kind of person, there aren't a lot of people like me out there. Yeah. Like, all you need is to, is to like, <clears throat> all you need in that regard is to make enough videos or get watched enough by the same same viewers that you get the algorithm to start recommending you after Ben Shapiro videos right. and you're in. Yeah. Like that's the, you know, that's, that's how the algorithm drives you further and further in that, in whatever direction of things you're interested in. Um, <clears throat> it's very transparent. Like the, the, you know, people talk about it being like biased towards the right wing stuff. Um, I don't think that's true. I think it's just because right wing stuff gets people to engage so readily and it sucks you into the cult kind of thing. But like, I've watched like two videos of like G.I. Joe things. And all of a sudden I'm getting like G.I. Joe stuff for for days, military recruitment stuff, gun comparisons. Like once you show YouTube, you might be interested in this one thing. It will constantly show you stuff that tries to pull you deeper into that topic. And um, it's just some topics are stickier than others. And kind of the alt-right Gamergate stuff is very, very sticky for certain people. Well, you got to figure there probably aren't that many options. Because let's be honest, most of the people who do this are not hard right-wingers. They're they're either moderates or they lean to the left. And so if you are a person who really loves games and you're also a hard right-leaning politically, there aren't a lot of options out there. So you're right. If he gets sort of like added on to that whole playlist with Ben Shapiro and some of those other people, he could hit a gold mine, literally hit a gold mine. Like all you need is one mentioned by the quartering and you're kind of gold. I mean, honestly, Ben Shapiro mentions them and he's like, Hey, here's somebody who's into games and I like games and they're like like us. And and currently with the cancel culture stuff being the current boogeyman for the right, um, you very well might like Ben Shapiro mentioned stuff that feels really below his visibility level on a regular basis. So, you know, I, I really feel like he thinks the anvil is ripe for the strike in here. He may and, even bring uh, the guy on take, and be like, Oh, were, were you canceled because you believe this? Like that's possible. I mean, if I were, if I were, uh, this guy who's leaving and uh, sure, I'm glad and I would not be for all the world because fuck that shit. Um, but I, in his position, I would definitely be sending emails out to all these people being like, hey, like I I almost got canceled, but I I I shot myself before they could get me kind of right, thing. It's, right. it's like it, yeah. it's like, it's, it feels like a pre, you know, they, he didn't get fired because he quit first. Yep. It seems seems to me. Well, think about probably what Colin Moriarty. Here. And I'm not saying that he's like this guy. He's not like hard right like this guy is. But after that stuff happened with Kind of Funny. The next day, he was on Joe Rogan. Right. And where he talked about, well, you know, I lean a little right. And so they <laughs> wanted they wanted me out. And next thing, next day, he launches his Patreon. But you shh. So mm-hmm. there's certainly a precedent for that. And again, I'm not saying Colin is like this guy. He's really nothing like that no. guy. But we're just but, talking uh, about I, sort of the tactics you think, can um, Well, I don't know. When was the last time you asked Colin about trans people? No. Um, <laughs> but like. Uh, He's not a gamer gator is my point. Colin isn't. Hmm. Um, I don't think he is, but maybe I don't uh, know him that well. I don't think he is now. Um, he, I, I seem to recall some sympathy he could have in that direction. Maybe to build an audience. I don't know. I don't follow him. But uh, but that was earlier than any of the Patreon stuff. I guarantee you, whether it's fair to say that about Colin or not, this guy's looking at what Colin did. Sure, sure. sure. And he's probably he may contact and Joe maybe, Rogan. And that may <laughs> not be a fair comparison, even on his part, saying like, "Oh, I'm just like Colin Moriarty." It's like, okay, dude. Like, yeah. 
I don't agree with a lot of what Colin says, but I don't, I, I have only, ver- I have very rarely been like physically repulsed by what right. Colin says. <laughs> and I yeah. am physically repulsed by what this guy says. Yep. Like it is, he is not in the same ballpark as Colin. It is funny though, in this modern media environment, how you can manipulate audiences and, mm-hmm. and algorithms and things like that to become really successful very, very quickly. Um, it's scummy and it's cheap. Um, and I would never do anything like that, but this guy may be looking at it like, man, I could work 80 hour weeks for the next two and a half years trying to get this game done. Or I could just mm-hmm. go back to my YouTube channel and make probably as much money and work half as many hours. So, yeah. And if it doesn't work out for him, I'm sure he can get other work uh, in game dev later. Well, like, I think he would have had a better chance of that if he had stuck around until the game shipped. Um, cause probably, he does mention like, but- Oh, you know, I don't want to leave game development, but like, with the reputation, I think it will be hard for him to get a job. I think if he had stuck around and finished the game and shipped the game, somewhat. He's he's got a ton of Disney and Pixar credits under his belt, though. Like, yeah. um, you it know, matters. Like, yeah, it, it that that stuff matters, and 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 high profile shipments of things. You know, Disney Infinity, all the Pixar stuff. Some of that stuff was really high quality. Although, again, I will I mean, say... That he the, seems to be good the, at his job, let's be honest. Yeah, so. and, I, and I will say that the other thing that gives me pause about this Hogwarts game is that those are the games they've made. Yeah. You like, mentioned that before. They, we were just talking they, about yeah, the game. I, that's, the, that's one of my yeah. big reservations about this game is, like, you're not talking the about studio. the people that made... You're not talking about Bioware here. You're talking about the people that made Toy Story 3, the Toy Story 3 game, which is pretty good, uh, and Disney Infinity, which I also liked, but did I like it in the way that I would want a Hogwarts action RPG to be? No. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's I hear you. like I'm worried about a fable situation, I guess would be yeah. the way I'd say it. It's like a fable, you were kind of expecting a deeper, more full, fully featured game, and we kind of just got like an action RPG light. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a little worried about that, but, uh, that aside, like I feel, I mean, if I, I don't think it would be that hard to find corporate employers that are not super bothered by his viewpoint or his YouTube channel down the road. If you, if he wanted to come back and start doing his old job again, I don't, I don't think that would be impossible. Yep. The other um, thing too, is that like losing this guy, isn't that big of a deal for the game. The game has already no. been delayed into 2022. So I don't think that him leaving yeah. is going to have a huge impact on his quality yeah. or anything well, like that. Well, and also like the, you know, Again, it's it's not good to lose like heads of of departments and stuff. But this guy, you know, this guy was a lead in a in a in a you know squad kind of thing. It seemed like, but like um, you know, these companies are built to lose and gain people. Like you know, you're way, not going to be yeah. you're not going to be able to hang on to everybody through a whole multi year project. People come and go. So yep. uh, there, I mean, it's, it's different when like you know Halo Infinite loses. It's like game design, you know, it's lead designer. Like this is like, oh, that doesn't seem, or somebody with director or something in there. To, it feels like, oh, that's bad. Like it's, it's a bit bad when, when, you know, it's bad when Kubrick leaves in the middle of production. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's different when like the gaffer. Leaves, right. When you lose a grip or something. Yeah. yeah it's a little different. Uh, so anyway, that's Hogwarts legacy. Again, it's been delayed into 2022. Um, it shouldn't be that much longer where we start seeing, I think like real stuff from this game though. <laughs> I would think we would see at least for like whatever passes for E3 this we year, we would see some some real or, stuff. Yeah. Um, also, because they got to start getting out ahead of all this shit. Yep. Like 
Because yeah, right the, now the, the internet's just stewing on it. Like, <laughs> yeah, they gotta get they gotta get out ahead both in terms of what the game is, how it plays, and how you know. Because there's two ways to get around the controversy. You're 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 that's built into this, and one is to show people a game that they cannot resist playing if they're a Harry Potter fan, and the other is to get out there and say like. We don't support all that. We understand why you're upset about J.K. Rowling. We understand, you know, without saying that directly, because you probably can't say that about nope. the person who's giving you the IP. <laughs> but like basically being like, you know, in the, in the same way of, I mean, basically what, what would be, uh, you know, a lot of times is negatively used, but doesn't have to be negatively used. Virtue signaling. Yeah. Like you hold up a flag that says like, hey, like we're stuck here, but we we know we the deal you. and we're trying to si show you that like we hear you. We're going to try to do some, you know, like putting, you know, the option to be a trans character in the game um the fig leaf yeah which is like you know but again that would be a huge step like that's how many other how many other games let you do that not many like yep. pretty much maybe saints row has yeah. that gender slider and that's about it like yeah. even cyberpunk which you think would be the place you would really mess with trans stuff and and certainly transhumanist stuff um you you're stuck with whatever gender your voice is yeah like you can't have a female character with a deep voice or a male character with a high voice, yeah. like you, which is ridiculous. Like if you're gonna go, if you're gonna go there, go there. And it's if so you're gonna easy show me, to turn on. Like it's, yeah, if you're gonna show me like a, a, a flopping flip physics it's, physics oriented penis on my character model, why can't you just let me choose whether that's male or female? Yeah. Like what's like what's the problem? Yeah, it's not a, it's, um, it's a it's, decision it's a, that the so yeah. Studio made. yeah. So I think you know, it, it, and it would be kind of funny to me that a game you know, made out of J.K. Rowling's IP might be the first game to really progressively <laughs> let you play oh, as a created trans character. Like that would be, and I wonder what that internal meeting's going to look like. I would she like finds to see her face that. when we'll she see. sees it for the first time, for sure. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's um, move on. Uh, we're especially because it's going to determine which dorm you're in, That's which true. is kind of her whole thing. That's true. That's right. Yep. Okay, let's move on. We're going to talk about something that Matt was discussing earlier. Actually, we both were discussing earlier. Uh, when we were talking about Nintendo fans, and I said, you know what, well, there are PlayStation fans that are just as bad and, and Xbox fans that are just as bad. And Matt brought up, though, there's something that PlayStation fans that are, are very angry about right now. And that is that it appears that more... Hilarious, because you think PlayStation fans would just be on the moon right now. Like, like if, if, there's a, if there's a company that is basically way ahead in terms of delivering what, the game, what, the, what a gamer wants... Uh, from from a first party company, it has to be Sony right now. Yep, but, but you, you always you always got to be mad about something. Yeah, in, in this and, in this business. So. And in this case, people are angry because at first, I think a lot of people thought PlayStation games coming to PC. The way Sony handled it at first, it was almost like a Trojan horse, Matt, because the first games that were PlayStation exclusives that went to PC were games that either didn't sell like Gangbusters or underperformed or fans weren't over the moon about them. So you get Death Stranding, which is Kojima's game, which Sony spent a lot of money building. It didn't sell especially well. Fans weren't really crazy about it. People liked it and they appreciated it, but it wasn't one of those like feathers in the cap. Like if you're a PlayStation fan, you're like, we got this game. Poof. It wasn't like that. It was like, it's cool. I'm glad we got it. But they weren't that upset that it went to PC. And then you have Days Gone, which... Some people, I think most people liked more than Death Stranding, to be perfectly honest with you. It had a bigger defense force, at least, it seemed. Um, but the game Days sold... Gone is an issue. I mean, well, I mean, you had Horizon between those. Yep. 
Um, Days which, Gone still hasn't come out for PC, but the announcement hasn't raised yeah. a lot of ire with fans. And I think a lot well, of because people- no one gives it. Days Gone is an interesting one because I see I do see some people that are very very into that game, yeah. and it mostly just surprises me that that game could could provoke a, such a strong response one way or the other. <laughs> like, but I also so- I think those people they want it to do well, and so mm. I think they put the whole like. That's an exclusive, and they shouldn't put that on PC. They put that aside to say, you know what? I really like this game. I want to see another one, and that studio deserves to make more money off of this game. So please put it on PC so I can get the sequel. I can get Days Gone 2. Um, I think think that's happening regardless. What do you you mean it's happening regardless? I think Days Gone 2 is already in production. Right, um, but like it sold well yeah, enough for a sequel for sure. Yeah, it did. I mean, for a for a new IP from a new studio, I'm mean, not a new studio. Sony Bend is not a new studio, but it was their their first kind of like they've been they've been stuck on handhelds for a long time, yeah. and you know here was their first like big AAA thing. And I was not a huge fan of it, but I thought it was very promising, and I'd I like to it. see what another one looked like. Yep. But you know, I, I bet like I bet Days Gone Two will be excellent. Yep. And they've been, and fans seem to be cool with that. And they were cool with Horizon too, but I think a big part of Horizon was that it was like a launch game. And so they had had it exclusively for like five years. And I think anyone's going to be okay with that. No, it wasn't like, that. It was three years. But it? like, yeah, it's 2017. That's right. Um, but like, all, Horizon's other issue was like Horizon launched bad on PC. Like, it's still not fixed. Yeah, it's getting um, better, but still not. It's gotten better, it but it's be. not great. I don't know if it's ever going to get to where it really needs to. Probably be. not. Like I don't think you can overcome the hump of the of the animations being tied to the thirty frames a second rate. Yeah. I think I think it was just never built to be on better hardware. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, but again, it was the same engine as Death Stranding, so it kind of made sense as a port. Um, and uh, I assume it did fine. Like it's it's. I mean, I certainly know a lot okay. of PC only people who were excited to play it. They weren't too excited once they got their hands on it in the yeah. condition it was in. But there was definitely interest there. It's not like you know, it was mostly people. It's like, oh, I can't afford to buy a PlayStation and keep my PC up to date, and I chose my PC. And if you're going to let me play PlayStation games on my PC, great. Like they're interested in those games. They just don't want to buy a PlayStation for them. Yep. Uh, which is you know, you, it's fair. Yeah. yeah. So those three games announced at least two of them have been released already. Not a big bunch of uproar, but then this week, um, I think it started cutting a little closer to the bone because a very reliable Twitter feed that has broken tons of big PlayStation news and other news in the past. It actually had been kind of dormant for a while, and it just sprung back to life with some big news that God of War, Ghost of Tsushima, Bloodborne. And the Uncharted collection are all coming to PC. And this comes right after the head honcho at PlayStation said, oh, more of our games are coming to PC. So you line up those two things, and it seems pretty definitive that, in fact, these games are coming. Now, I will say this. Bloodborne's pretty old. What year did that Mm -hmm. come out? Was that 2017 as well? Um, I want to... Called Bloodborne 2015. Yeah, maybe even older. But Bloodborne is, like, beloved. It is one of those... That is a feather in the cap for a lot of PlayStation fans. Um, That is something that they're like, yep, only we got that. And on top of that, you have God of War, which is, in my opinion, the game of the generation and the biggest feather in the PlayStation 4's cap for most people. Um, And then you have Ghost of Tsushima, which just came out 
not that long ago, mm-hmm. just not even, it hasn't even been a year yet that that game's been out. Uncharted, I think most people will be willing to give a pass. Uncharted 4 has even been a while since that game came out. Uh, but those other three, those are big, big games, Matt. Do you think that PlayStation fans are ever going to be okay with these games coming to PC? I mean, well, for first off, I'll believe all of this when I see it. So you don't believe um, that this is true? No, not really. Okay. Um, I think, I mean, look, Bloodborne is so heavily requested, and it's the only uh, From Software game that isn't on PC. Uh, I feel like half a decade later, you can let it go. I mean, Sony did help fund it, so it's like kind of their call. But Bloodborne on PC would not shock me at this point, just because Sony's made their money on it. Um, you're probably going to want to think about doing a PS5 update for it anyway. And as long as you're doing that, you could probably like kind of wedge that into the PC project somehow. That's a good point. Um, like PC development on that would probably benefit a PS5 upgrade somehow, I would think. Um, and, you know, it's the you know, having it on there and get, you know, getting opening up to mods and stuff like that. I'm sure, I bet From Software would like to have all their stuff together on PC so the, the, the community can kind of play with it um, and tweak it and stuff. Um, that would make a lot of sense to me. Um, the other stuff like uncharted. Yeah. Like that's kind of the, you know, the ship is sort of sailed on that one in terms of, you know, I, I, you know, we know Sony San Diego is probably going to take their shot at uncharted soon, but like that original, that first trilogy, the Amy Hennig trilogy is sort of, they made their, again, they made their money on that. God of war and ghost of Tsushima. That's a harder one to swallow for me. Um, uh, not because I don't think it would be good, because I think God of War on PC would be amazing to see. I mean, uh, and especially with mods and weird stuff you could do with like that, you know, the, 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 the mind reels at what a PC version of God of War would open up. It really does. Um, I just like, I would probably play it again. Yeah, I, I would see. I, I got I've almost and Ghost thought of, about playing it again on PS. For me, God of War and Ghost of Tsushima are the two. I will believe that when they announce it. Ghost of Tsushima is the one that stands out the most to me. Um, Tsushima is re- so recent. It's so like, it's recent, a, and it, like I, yeah. But I, here's I don't, the other I thing, man. It's impossible. I just saying, like, I feel like it's got to be years later. Well, here's the other um, thing, though. I feel kind of about Ghost of Tsushima the way maybe some some PlayStation fans feel for Days Gone. I don't feel like it sold as well as it deserves to have sold. It didn't sell terrible. It didn't tank or anything like that. Um, and it sold well enough that I think, you know, if they want to make another one, they can and they will. But it did not sell to the level that it deserves. And I feel like more people need to play this game so that the sequel, that will be at least a timed exclusive on PlayStation platforms, will do better than the first game did. Um so I hear you, like I hear if you're a PlayStation fan and you're like, oh wait, like that game's not even a year old and it's, we're already talking about it coming out for PC. I understand why people would be upset about that and maybe a little pissed off about it, but man, that game is so amazing. Like more people need to experience that game. They need to make more money and recoup the cost of that game uh, more than they have at this point. And I don't know. I mean, that sold pretty well. It's, it's, it was 5 million in November. Yeah. They're, they're doing fine with that, I think, for a new IP. Um, I mean, I w- would I like to see what that looks like with ray tracing? Yeah, on I mean, a that's the other thing. PC rig? Like selfishly, yeah, it's like that's when you're talking about God of War running on a PC, like a big rig, like that might convince me to upgrade my PC, a game mm-hmm. that good, if they can promise me a huge upgrade over what we're getting now. Because the PS5 version, it looks good, but let's be honest, it's really just kind of like resolution. They didn't do a lot of work to it. 
if they created like an ultimate version that ran on PC and also on PlayStation 5 that has all the new tricks of all the new NVIDIA hardware, I'm, I'll play it again. Absolutely. And I never play games twice, ever. I don't have time for it. A lot of times I don't have an interest in even doing it. But if they were to put it out on PC with a ton of, a ton of improvements, I'm there. I'm in for that. So it's dicey. Like, to me, I agree with you. It's it's too early, I think, to even announce that Ghost of Tsushima is coming to PC. Like, it just, it just doesn't feel right <clears throat> uh, for that to happen yet. But at the same time, I totally understand if they were to do that, why they would do that. Like... It's tough. Like, like, I can see like God of War like coming out on PC alongside Ragnarok next year. Yeah. Um, sort of like kind of that's how you know you get you you know PlayStation gets the new one and PC gets the last one. Sort to of get, they want to convince set up, people to buy a PS5 and play the new one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that like makes if you want to, or if you don't want to buy a PS5, it's like oh you just got to wait a few years, but you get a better version of the game. Uh, you know, it's sort of a trade off there. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who have both who would double dip to get the, you know, the, the, the high end fancy graphics on the PC version. Yep. Um, certainly. And, and also like, I think you're more likely to get a double dip if you wait a few years, because that's about when I'm going to start thinking about playing God of War again. <laughs> right. True. You know? Yeah. And it's like, if you're going to dangle this like new version in front of me that has all these new bells and whistles graphically, like, yeah, I'm going to think about it. Like that's going to be a thing. Matt, What's the the algorithm? What's the formula to where you where you don't start convincing people that they don't need to buy your new hardware? I guess is what I'm getting at. Because if people start seeing this and they're like, "Well, you know, I can't think of too many games that I can't wait a year or 18 months to play." And you know what? Maybe it's just better for me to build a PC and get myself an Nvidia graphics card if I can ever freaking mm-hmm. find one. Um, <laughs> Seriously, like it's absurd. Like mm-hmm. they launched a new card the other day, and like I realized I don't. I'm not even going to try to buy it or even look into buying it because I just know it's impossible. Like it's absurd where we're at with GPUs right now. But anyway, um, maybe you start thinking about this is the better idea. And you know, you, the PC you can use it for so many other things besides playing games. Like there's a reason the PC sales have gone through the roof during the pandemic. A lot of people are starting to see it as a value. Um, mm-hmm. And so you start to wonder if you're Sony. Like, where is that line? What's the line where I'm like, we can't talk about this coming to PC yet because we need people to buy our console. That is PlayStation's business. That is Sony's business. It's not being a third-party publisher on PC. What is the line? Where is the line? Three years. Yeah, that seems to be it. Like, that would, if I'm Sony, I'm saying three years is like a comfortable space where the game is still, the game doesn't look outdated. It's still interesting to people. But you've made your you've made your money in your window on on PlayStation, and you are not bringing it out soon enough that PC people are going to think that's a reasonable amount of time to wait. Because three years is is too long for me to wait for a game, and so I'm sure PC only players are going to hear that. Oh, three years is like, yeah, it is too long. That's the point. Yeah, like you, they don't you know they don't want you to wait, but they also want your money if you are absolutely dedicated to waiting. Yep. Uh, so I'd say three years is about my my sweet spot for that if I'm Sony. Now you're saying three years for release or three years to announce? Um, I would say a bit of both, depending on because I would try to release alongside the next installment of something. I mean, that really seems to be the smartest thing, right? And however long yeah. that takes, like yeah, however long that is, which is probably three to four years with Sony. Typically, yeah, you get a couple. Sp- stragglers that are close yeah to five like i wouldn't like as soon as I, the first time i really blow out a new you know not when i tease 
the, the game for the first time, but the first time I blow out the sequel, like say the first, say like that first time we saw the last of us two, the, the demo where she runs around and kills all the people in the, yeah. in the little like burned out store area. I would also say, Oh, and last of us one is coming, coming to, PC. to PC and then it'll release for PC alongside right around that time. When yeah. This comes out for PS4 now PS5. That makes sense. Yeah, to kind of give kind of give PC players something to you know something to get involved in, and then like, oh, I'm playing this; it's really good. Oh, I'm sure looking at that sequel that just came out. Mm, I wonder how much is a PlayStation Five. Like, you know, it's a psychological tactic, but it, you know, it might work well enough for a certain. You know, you get 10 percent turnover on that, and you're doing pretty well. Yeah. Not that they need to worry about selling more PlayStation Fives right now. Yeah, so if you think about a, a series like Uncharted, like to me, they're good. Like they could put out the Uncharted stuff on PC tomorrow, and I don't think yeah. anyone yeah. is going to bat an eyelash because um, Uncharted Four was twenty. Is that twenty sixteen? That sounds right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like go for it, and maybe you use Uncharted as like kind of the first one, and then you build um, from there. Maybe Bloodborne is the next one. Um, because mm-hmm. the Uncharted games are PS3 games. Yeah, yeah they're really, really old. And I actually, is, would the collection include Uncharted Four? No, no. So it'd just be the first three, the the Hennig saga. So I mean, traditionally they haven't. So I mean, yeah, yeah you could you could put Uncharted Four in there, but I would say I would say the PS3 games kind of hang together as their own trilogy, and then Four is sort of the the capper. So I think even Uncharted Four at this point. Good to go. You could. Yeah, I think I just think you'd sell Uncharted 4 separately. Yeah. Maybe with Lost Legacy combined with it. Yep. Yeah, just roll it in as one piece. And then maybe also you have the PS, although that game, I'm looking at B-roll right now. This the game still looks amazing. It really is just a gorgeous flipping game. Um, they, I don't know if they have to do a ton of work on Uncharted 4 to make PC players happy. The question always becomes like, you know, getting the engine to work, whatever the, whatever yeah. in-house stuff they use, whatever tricks they use to make all that crazy physics stuff work and, you know, making it work on PC. You know, it's you never know what's going to break when you try to switch platforms. Yeah, as um, we learned. And, you know, some stuff might Horizon. end up not coming to PC just because they try it and it's all fucked up and they're like, oh, this is going to take a lot of work to fix and they just really, well, forget it. Sort of like why we never got any remasters or, or ports uh, 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 for uh, Red Dead Redemption 1. Yep, that's true. Because some of the stuff you do to get something to work on on established hardware when you know it doesn't ever need to be on other hardware can get real weird and kludgy. It's it's the old thing where it's like... um, I can't remember what game it was, but it was like somebody. People were like clipping through walls and like you know doing like little things, and they found this is like little, little room you couldn't access, and there's just an orange in the middle of it. Yeah, <laughs> and this might be apocryphal, I don't remember, but like there's just an orange in the middle of it, and somebody finally asked one of the devs like, "Why is there an orange in the middle of an empty room that you can't access in the side of the And he's like, "We we had that there, and then if you took the orange out, the game breaks, so we just left the orange there." That's funny. And built a room around it so it would stay there. It's like some. It's like sometimes that's all. That's how simple it is. It's yeah, just like oh, yeah. a, if we remove the orange, the game crashes. So we just left the orange there. Yep. That's it. So and and it's it's a it's you never know. So I think the sequel plan works for games like every game, but a game like Bloodborne, which I don't know if we'll ever get a Bloodborne two. To be honest with you, I feel like if, if we were gonna, we would have gotten it by now. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, you know, like the other thing is like because of Bloodborne's audience, like Bloodborne's a kind of a special case because of how the audience is built um, and how PC centric the Souls audience tends to be. Yeah. Um, like if I were Sony and I wanted to really get crazy, 
uh, I would put Bloodborne out on PC and then based on response to that, go forward with a Bloodborne 2 and I would release Bloodborne 2 on both platforms at the same time. That won't happen though. Because Bloodborne, I would call, I would consider Bloodborne a, a special case yeah. because you will get so much backlash from the PC community if you keep it on PlayStation and do it later because it's so vital that like that stuff gets discovered as it gets discovered. Um, that I think that would be the only time that I as Sony could justify a simultaneous release. That's a tough sell. I think PlayStation fans would be really salty over that one. Um, yeah, but who cares? It's <laughs> well, salty over if you're Sony, it. Sony, you be, care, definitely. It doesn't matter when you do it. They're going to be salty if you release God of War <laughs> on it 10 years from now. Like it doesn't, you know, if you put God of War PS3 collection out right now, everybody be yelling about it. It's like, it's got a war one is from the PS two days, dude. Like who cares if, if you can play it on, you can play it on PC now with an emulator. Like it's, yeah. it's not an issue, uh, but they'd still yell about it. I guarantee you. So you, you can't go, but you can't make your business decisions based on who weirdo, weirdo console warriors scream about. It really is a case by case basis with these games. Yeah. Um, you really have to look at each game specifically and look, think about how the fans are going to react to each one and then act accordingly. But I think so far, Sony's done a pretty good job. And if, in fact, all these games are coming to PC, I have faith that Sony will do at least a decent job of uh, getting them out in a sequence where fans will Somewhat. I mean, you also, I mean, you really do need to look at how Horizon launched and say they need to do much better than that. Yeah. Like, I do. Would I like to play God of War on a, on a high-end PC? Yes, but I'd like it to work as well as it does on PlayStation. Yeah, which Horizon does not. And it, in look, it's kind of hard to figure out if that stuff's going to work. Although they're going to learn, they'll learn from Horizon. Yeah, but it's hard to figure out if that stuff's going to work until you've actually started doing it. So maybe you wait. And you don't even mm-hmm. announce this stuff literally until it's like a month out or something like that. You definitely, you're definitely, I think it's going to be a case by case. Like, is this even going to work basis? Right. Like, like I said, like once you port this stuff over, is it just hopeless? Like, is it, or would it just be too much time and money to justify what yeah. you're doing? Um, I think that might happen not constantly, but I think it might happen more often than we might like. Um, so I think, I think you, the assumption that everything Sony makes will make, will make it to PC now is, uh, probably a flawed one. Yeah, Although I going forward, I don't think that like going be. forward, if that's, if, you know, if you know, that's a possibility, that's a thing you can plan for now. Yeah. Um, but there's probably going to be a gap here where like, you know, my guess is who knows PlayStation if starts building games well. with PC in mind. That going yeah, forward, or at least with a it's going to start building games, and it's going to be like, let's make sure that how we build these games, they're going to be able to port to PC without a lot of problems. Or at least with a team that does PC stuff that can sort of like work alongside, and as they bring things in, they're like, oh, well, we, we'll take that and we'll fix it over. Yeah, it's going to be easier to do that as the development process happens than like here's a here's a giant lump of code. Good luck. Or yeah. two very different things. Yep. Um, and it might, you know, who knows? It might improve uh, stuff on the console end too. To you know, to have that extra input, you never know. Like you know, more brains working on something is never really a bad thing when it comes to this sort of stuff. Especially when they're smart people. Yep. Yeah, makes a difference. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Marvel's Avengers. <laughs> Again, throw, throw your brains out the window, folks. The never-ending story. <laughs> we're, we're, just, we're in the we're in the no-brain zone now. This game just won't go away. 
And talking about the no brain zone. Oh, I think this game might go away sooner than you think. (laughs) I don't know, man. I'll say this. They're not giving up, dude. Like, they won't give up. They're Um, not giving up till they give up. The problem is that they just, everything they try, it just, it does, a lot of it just doesn't make sense. A lot of things that they're trying to do to fix the game. And I think the thing that makes the least sense of all is the stuff that was announced this week. So, Matt, somehow they've decided that making the game, making it easy for players to level up in the game is a problem. That they feel like they've overloaded the player with leveling and new abilities and new features to the point that that is what is turning people off from continuing to play the game. Do you think that's one of the major problems with Marvel's Avengers, Matt? Uh, one of the problems with Avengers is not me being overwhelmed by too many things to do. <laughs> no. It's definitely not being overwhelmed with too much awesome. I really do no. not think that that is the problem with Avengers. I don't know what they're thinking here. I mean, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking slow people down so they don't run out of content as fast. Exactly. That's but, that's what they're they're talking about. But really. it's incredibly transparent. They're not exactly the first people to try this. And like, who do you think you're fooling? Yeah, it's it's absurd. So typically, I don't know if it may be a long time since some people have played it. Or maybe some some people didn't play it at all because of the word on the street about this game, and they don't really realize it. But typically when you're playing this game, if you completed a mission, you would level up like two, three, even in some cases like four levels in one mission, which maybe is a little bit absurd, um, but... This slowed down a good amount by the time you got in the high levels. I mean, I certainly didn't max anybody out just playing through the game. Well, here's the thing. It's like it's a superhero game. So... It's hard to start someone out as a superhero that doesn't feel like a superhero. So to me, in the early stages of the game, they need to level up quickly. You need to be getting new abilities quickly. You need to feel like you're playing as a superhero instead of some character that can just punch and kick and maybe fly. Um, So to me, it's smart to make the early portions of the game make the leveling go really quickly. Like I didn't think there was a problem with, I mean, you, you level up fairly quickly. You get access to the basic elements of each skill tree and ability tree. And then like the rest of your leveling is sort of like specializing in how you like to use those abilities. And some of the specializing takes a while because of the level grind. But like by the time I got about halfway, three quarters of the way through the story with, you know, with most of the characters, I felt like I was playing as that character in a complete way. Yeah. Which you know, which requires that I had access to all of Iron Man's lasers and missiles and various things and Ms. Marvel's ability to embiggen and stretch and do this move and that move. And like, you know, you want to give everybody the basics pretty quick, um, which is why I figured they leveled up so quickly in the early part of the story and campaign stuff. Um, if you want to make me like grind my way through with like half a repulsor beam for like half the campaign, that's annoying. Um, or unless they mean to slow you down near the end of the game. Like, I just don't know why anyone's playing that game past the campaign in the first place. So I guess it doesn't really matter. But like, <laughs> That's a good point. Um, and to be fair, basically what they're doing is they're not going to slow down the early leveling as much. It's really once you, once you reach level 25. That's when they're going to yeah. start slowing it down. That's slow enough as it is, I think. <laughs> I know. It's like, dude, it's hard enough to get me to keep playing after level 25 and you're going to slow down my progression? It just... It's so dumb. And the reason this is all happening. Like what else am I looking forward to then? Loot? Right. I don't see right. it at all. Like, it's stupid. Well, they were saying that, like, they're completely eliminating cosmetic drops. They're getting rid of them. Like, they said that they're temporarily disabling them. But 
they may not come back. Let's be honest. Once you take something like that out, it's kind of weird to bring it back and just all of a sudden there they are again. Um, and the reason all this is happening is because the next-gen upgrades are coming for this on March 18th. Yeah, March 18th. Mm. The PS5 and Series X upgrades are launching, and they are free upgrades if you already own the game. Uh, you can upgrade it for free. So that's cool. At least they're not trying to charge you for something that you probably don't care about and may not want anyway. Um, but they're trying to roll a bunch of stuff into this big update on March 18th, including the Hawkeye DLC, which I cannot believe we're still waiting for. Yep. It's crazy, Matt. Like, what the hell? And why aren't they worrying about, like, algorithms and slowing down leveling when the DLC still isn't out that they've been marketing since the beginning? Where's Spider-Man? I, dude, I don't think that's he ever coming out. I don't think that's ever coming out. <laughs> like, they're, the way they're prioritizing their time on this game is wrong. They're fixing stuff that isn't broken. And they still haven't delivered the content that people actually care about that will keep people playing. It's like it's not the leveling that's making people quit. It's there's no compelling content to keep playing. It's bonkers, dude. What is wrong with these? What are they doing? I mean, they didn't. I don't know what. Like, I look at what's there, like the framework that's there. And I don't know what you can do with it to make it make you play past the campaign. Like, Well, you create more campaign content with new characters that people care about. Right. Like you basically That's should it. be making this, this, these games should be narrative games. Like they yes. should be each each uh, you know each character that comes out should have a little mini campaign, and they do. But like it's not particularly comp- also like look, I you know I like Hawkeye, Kinda. but you just put Kate <laughs> Bishop out, and you're gonna give me another bow and arrow character yep. like. Give me Black Panther or something yep. here. Like, come on. Yeah, like, I, I, honestly, to me, Hawkeye is one of the least interesting characters from the Avengers. Like, if I had to, like, rank the Avengers in order of the characters I care about, he would be at the bottom, which is why I get yeah. that he's DLC. But still. I think um, if, you, if you read the comics, he's, he'd rank higher. He's a better character in the comics. If, you, if yeah. you're familiar with him from the movies, he's just Jeremy Renner. Like, there's, there's no real recommendation there. He's just there. a dude. Yeah, yeah he doesn't a, have really amazing powers. Like, I mean, he even calls that out in Age of Ultron. He's like, I'm a guy, I have a bow and arrow. We're fighting, fighting robots. This <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Yep. Which I'm pretty sure was Jeremy Renner ad-libbing, and they just left it in the movie, but here we are. Yep. Um, Hawkeye is not an exciting get-me-to-install-that-game-again edition. Sorry, sorry, Clint. Me either. Uh, I mean, I'm not true. gonna, I'm not gonna install it again and upgrade. I mean, a big well, part. especially after Kate. Like, I already played a bow and arrow character. The other problem is I have the PS4 version of the game, and my PS5 hard drive has been full for like months. Right, so that is also. Am an I gonna issue delete and... something that I actually play for something that I just want to check out? Probably not. Yeah, <laughs> like, especially not that install size. That's no. a big. That's a big download. It's a big game now. Yeah. So. Is there any saving this other than like doing something that they're not going to do? We just create a huge campaign for all these DLC characters. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I would think they might do that because the campaign ends on pretty much a cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, not a cliffhanger for you, know, but basically, you finally got the Avengers together, and there's the implication that like the Celestials are going to get involved or something. Like, you know, there's definitely some stuff happening at the end where I'm like, oh, that's a tease. Yeah. Tease for a bigger thing. So they seem to think they were going to do more campaign. But if you're just going to throw me out into the open world, no thanks. I don't want yeah. that. That content is boring and dull to me. I mean, we'll see what they do by, like, September, because that's the year anniversary. Right. Um, but, like, it's just astounding to look at this, and then I look at other, like, kind of games that are... Some of them are free to play, like Warframe and... Path of Exile, and it's like they're putting out new story content monthly sometimes. That's compelling. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you I can't get, get this together with a, you know, with a very experienced developer, uh, one of the what? biggest publishers in the world. One of the most with, valuable with IP the in the world. IP in the world. It's like the most valuable IP in the world, and they can't make it work. Like, this game should be way more successful than it is. We should be waiting with bated breath for the next DLC for this, Matt. Like, it's just insane that we're not. It. Well, I think this is one of your, you know, I said earlier, like, I think the game as a service thing is on its way out. I think this is one of those high-profile failures. Like between this and Anthem, if I were a major publisher, I'd be terrified to touch the, the game as a service I model yeah. after these two. I like mean, really, much, the better idea is dollars, the ongoing game. Like we were how many about, millions like, of dollars have these companies sunk into these two games, and they they sold well at the beginning, but did not become this like imaginary constant wheelbarrow of cash on a on a conveyor belt that everybody seemed to think that that was what what this this model would be. But Matt, let's be and honest, it's they should have like, been. And then you compare it to like Miles Morales, and it's almost like, oh, it might be better just to make a really good game. Yeah, that you can sell, sell 15 million copies of and call it a day and make a sequel. Yeah, yeah, and not have to spend the risk of setting up the server, everything. It's Servers just, and constant, having a constant team there to just yeah, churn stuff out. Yeah, monitor stuff like, and make sure people aren't breaking things and all that and crap. And then they can't do that because they have to come around and fix the game because it launched so weird. And, like, yep. it's 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 a mess. It it's, is a mess. Uh, and it's a shame because it's like, finally we get an Avengers game. And the campaign, campaign's pretty good. Like, I enjoyed the story yeah, and, and all that. And as soon as it uh, ended, I did not care anymore. <laughs> yeah, it. it really uh it really lost all its steam. I mean, yeah. and I tried. I played some of the post game, you know, you know, quote unquote mini campaign stuff where you're doing stuff for Shield and yeah. all that. It's, I tried it's just it too. Like, I just yeah. I didn't care. It was just very no. bland and dull and kind of Kate Bishop thing was fine. Like it was cool. Uh you know, a little bit of cutscene, a little story, new boss, but like not enough. Okay. Yep. No, and certainly not enough to like level the character up to the point that I wouldn't have to just grind forever to get back to where I was with everybody else who I'm not even done grinding with in the first place. And then when I'm done grinding with it, why am I doing it? To do what? Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Like, there's no further content. There's nothing else to do. Like, I'm not grinding up to like raid bosses or anything here. Like, what am I going to do? I know. Like, why am I getting more powerful in this game? Why? (laughs) What's the point? There's nothing to do. I know. I know. I hear you. So anyway, that's the latest on uh, Marvel's Avengers. Um, some of you guys may have not played it at all, um, and maybe you're looking at uh, you're looking at March 18th, and you're like, I got a PS5, I got a Series X, and maybe that's the time to dive in. Like as Matt and I were saying, the campaign's pretty damn good. Like I enjoyed the first 20 hours of it or whatever, and if from that regard, if you don't have it yet. It's probably worth yep. picking up for that to play it on the better. Somewhat, con- I mean, but if you don't, it's just sort of like, well, do I download? Do I re-download Avengers or do I watch the Snyder cut? It's like, do you want to get cut, hit in the balls, or <laughs> punch in the face? March eighteenth is not Jeez, great. March nineteenth, we get Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Which, by the way, how are you not launching Falcon with this the I day know. before? Of like, is come on, like, there's no synergy, there's no plan, there's no there there. It feels almost as hopeless as Anthem did at this point. Yeah, but I think if you have not played it at all, like the 18th is probably a good time to jump in. Oh, because yeah. like, you also got to remember well, there aren't well, a lot of games time, coming out right now. So. The best time is when it's on sale. Yes, and but I don't think they honest. are putting it on sale on the Probably 18th. not for that. I would think they want you, but I, I would say, you know, let's see how that next-gen update comes out, and then maybe next time it's on sale for like 30 bucks or something. It's a it's a decent campaign for that kind of money. Yep. All Until right. Until they pull the plug. Yep. All right. Let's move on. We're going to talk next about something that I feel like we've been teased with for a long time, Matt, and that is Microsoft playing with AR and VR. 
And to be fair, Microsoft really hasn't played with VR at all. It has no. rejected VR and has, and in that way, it's been smart. It rejects your virtual reality and substitutes its own. <laughs> in that way, it's actually been smart because all these other companies have just poured tons of money into it and really lost their asses. Like just now, Facebook with Oculus Quest 2 is starting to kind of turn the corner a little bit, although rumors say that they're losing their ass on that hardware as well and they're selling it at a loss and blah, blah, blah. So maybe Facebook still isn't making money on VR either. Instead, Microsoft has decided to go the augmented reality route with HoloLens. Um, The first HoloLens we saw, we thought maybe it might be a consumer item. Uh, They showed it on stage at E3, like messing around with Minecraft and all this stuff. Uh, And then it never really... Lying about Minecraft. Yeah. And then it never really came out for consumers. It ended up costing like $3,000. Yeah, it was not... uh, And also, like the thing you didn't see in those demos is that the the viewable angle in that thing is like 30 degrees. Yeah, you have to stand at like a very specific point. Yeah, and you see, like you don't... Like, you know, the the demo they showed on on the press conference was like you saw the whole whole table was Minecraft. When you look through that thing, it's a sliver. Yep. Like, and it's, 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 it doesn't... It's not a convincing thing at all. Uh, and, and it's not their fault, it's just how physics works. Well, it's crazy, too, because we're, you can't see it, but we're watching the trailer for the now first HoloLens right now, and, like, watching this trailer, it's, this like, mind-blowing what it was supposed to do. Like, it's like you're standing in your kitchen, and there's TV screens all over your what kitchen, and to do? over on your desk, there's a crotch rocket motorcycle that you're designing. New like, ways to first of all, it never was capable of doing any of this stuff the way it's portrayed in this trailer. Two... Just the idea of somebody having it in their home is absurd. It cost $3,000. It was basically created for industrial no, purposes. I just put the then in one HoloLens 2 came out, and essentially they said right from the get-go, this isn't for you. Like this, okay, this is, We're going to use this for industrial applications. This is for work purposes. This is for medical stuff. This is for distance learning stuff. Um, they didn't even try to fool us with the second HoloLens, and they didn't show it working with games um, or anything like that. It was basically like, yep, we've released an updated version of HoloLens, and don't count on using it unless you're ready to spend a lot of money on it and then not get a whole lot of use out of it because nobody else is going to use it. But now, Matt, really what is the third iteration of HoloLens is a brand new platform called Microsoft Mesh. And Mesh isn't even really necessarily hardware. They are going to put out like a new like AR thing that'll work with it, but it also works with HoloLens and it will also work with VR helmets and it will also work on just a PC and presumably it will also just work on your Xbox Series console. Um, And essentially what it is, is like, what's the term that they use to describe it? It's called Holo, what was it? Mm Hmm? There's a word that they're using to describe it. It's called like hollow something or other. Hollow present or something. There's some catchphrase that Microsoft is trying to use. And it's basically this collaborative platform that you use um, with maybe your existing HoloLens, your existing VR helmet or whatever, that really creates like a hologram of the per- of a person in the room with you where they can demonstrate things to you. Um, objects that they're working on can appear in 3D space with you and it's kind of a collaborative tool that is going to be tied into um, what's that? What's Microsoft's like workspace called, where everybody can work together? There's a word for it. I can't remember. Um, mm. Microsoft Teams. That's what it's called. Teams. So it's basically a platform. <laughs> no Google Wave. That right. It's a platform that's going to work inside that platform to 
help people finally get use out of these HoloLens things that they spent way too much money on. Um, there isn't a lot of game applications for it yet, and they're also not trying to fool us into thinking that, hey, this is going to be a new way to control your games, although they do show people using, like, Oculus Rift and the, the touch controllers to operate it. Um, so there's some crossover with some of the VR stuff going on right now. But, Matt, what do you think of this stuff? Do you think that Microsoft is just still, like, way too far out ahead on this technology and is just not here yet? Like, right now they're showing, like, People trying to do re- rehabilitation with doctors who aren't there, um, stuff like that. Do, do you? How far out do you think we're really away from this stuff being real? Uh, as far out as we are from having implants in our brains. Really? Because there's no way to solve the viewing angle problem. Like, is you're always just going to get a little sliver on this thing, and because that's just how the light works going into your eye. And like you, you don't, you're not going to have peripheral vision on this. Like when you talk about like the, the demo with, or the, the, you know, the trailer, whatever you want to call it, the, the lie of uh, lie. the guy, the guy in the apartment with all the screens, the motorcycle and stuff, mm-hmm. like you will never see any of that over here. Like it's never going to look like that because the only thing you can see is like basically what you can focus on with your eye right here. And if you look over here, you're going to not see it because it's here on the lens. So like, if I look over, if I don't turn my whole head, I'm not going to, it's like old, it's like early VR. Like it doesn't track your eyes. So it's not going to keep up with that. So everything over here is going to be out of focus. Yeah. Whereas in, in uh, AR, everything over here is not going to exist. Um, so the only way I see the, to get to the point where you're looking at like hollow, hollow displays, like what they show in that, what they show in like Iron Man and that kind of thing, you're talking about um, either projection stuff, like actual projecting the holograms into the room or being wired directly into your optic nerve and telling your brain to see that thing. <laughs> Which is like a hundred years away, my guess is. I wouldn't Maybe say not that, that far, far, actually. Now that I think I th- about I it. I think we might see some of that by the by the time we're we're on our way out. Well remember but, we talked um, not long ago on Game Face about being able to control games with your brain. And like that's yeah. happening already. Yeah, well well they will get there with that, but this is is a very stopgap thing. This is um uh this is the equivalent. A lot of this, the current AR stuff makes me feel like I've felt when I was, when you go back and look at those old, like Disneyland world of tomorrow things. And like everybody lives in a plastic house and, and all the, all the appliances fold out of the cabinets and stuff. And it's just like, that's what you think is futuristic and where you're kind of trying to go, but like, it's not practical and no one's ever going to actually live like that. Um, the current state of AR is like that to me. I think, in my opinion, I don't think like this is sort of a stepping stone to the tech that we're gonna we're gonna eventually have, but it's never gonna exist in a tiny lens that floats out here. Maybe you could do it in a contact lens mm. that actually goes in your eye. Uh, that's, that's something scary. you would have. That's something that, <laughs> I don't think is scary anymore. Having it's electronics scary. on your eyeball. A little scary. I mean, it's, it's weirder things have happened. I mean, you're already putting uh, you're already putting the uh, contact lens on there. Hard contacts are two different. There's no electricity um, in a contact lens right now. There's electricity in your eye. Yeah, it's, that's it's true. okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, it'd be very low voltage. It wouldn't really matter. But like, you would you would have to you'd have to have some kind of um, you'd have to have some kind of power source, obviously. Um, I'm curious what you could do with. I mean, it's not impossible that you could power those things by blinking. Hmm. By using the really? friction, the friction created by blinking over them could be enough to kind of power a little sort of like micro dynamo sort of thing. Um, but that's not my area of expertise, but I know that has been proposed. 
Um, but that kind of thing is what you'll need for like full eye coverage to sort of create that illusion. Something out here is never going to do that fully unless you're talking about just sort of constant floating on the on the lens or on the glasses sort of thing where I've got like a little thing up here that tells me what direction I'm looking at. The Google Glass yeah, did the Google that. Yeah, Google Glass you know? stuff, yeah. Um, like basically a heads up display. But in terms of creating like what are basically hallucinations in the room with you, you can't do that with a lens like that. Yeah. Not not in the way that those, those videos pr- present it. Yeah, um, I mean, the way they're presenting something you're looking directly at and do not deviate from and are in, you know, eye line of sight. It's it's such a limiting thing when you actually use it that it's in, it's horrendously disappointing. If I if I sound a little like weirdly like um, like rigid on this, it's because I've done a couple of those AR things and I was bitterly disappointed by what it looked like. Yeah, it's it's just I mean, and who knows, like plenty of times we've said like, oh, there's no way around this problem. And, and then we it found out. a way around the problem. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, just, just past week, some, you know, a paper was published that said that basically proved that theoretically warp drive can happen. Yeah. I saw that. We just don't know how to build it, yeah, but like yeah. the laws of physics allow it basically. Yeah. Um, I saw a question on, I was watching something on YouTube last night and they asked, okay, what happens when a black hole gets sucked into another black hole? And basically they said like, you could go back in time. Like, mm-hmm. If you're a piece of matter in the vicinity of those, you would go back in time. So, how do you harness that? That's so far out of my above my pay grade, and so to me, so far away. Um, but they're possibilities for sure. Um, the guy who builds this stuff, Hololens and Mesh, he has the best gig. Microsoft just keeps throwing money at him for projects that they know. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like. Yeah. They're just like, you know, we have so much money. Like, let's just throw some over here to this dude who's crazy and actually make stuff and see what he comes up with. And I think that's just what Mesh is. Like, it's another. Yeah. Well, also, because if you actually do find that breakthrough. Yeah. It could be (laughs) bigger than anything ever. So I'm glad that they do it. I'm surprised that they share their skunk works with the world as much as they do. Maybe it's a surprise. Maybe. I. I feel like it's probably worth every once in a while kind of throwing something out there from there, just being like, hey, what do you, what do you guys think of this? Yeah. Oh, no, still no. Uh, okay. <laughs> still want to pay $3,000 cool. for it. Cool, okay, bro. Just I mean, they put out trailers for this stuff, and they had, like, HoloLens on stage at E3. Like, I think maybe they go a little too far with how so they what, I mean, it. also, I think you got to have something to show the executives. Yeah. And make them, make them you know, it's, it's sort of the uh, it's sort of the R&D equivalent of look busy. Yeah. Yeah, they are busy, but you got to make it look like you're making. You got to show that you're busy. Yeah. Yeah. And like you can, as long as the people holding the purse strings, uh, things like, oh, look at the cool stuff they did in that video. (laughs) Like that's all you need to like milk another three years out of it sometimes. Yep. So anyway, there you go. That's Microsoft Mesh not coming to a home near you (laughs) for a long, long time. Not meshing with your household anytime soon. Yep. Uh, next, we're going to talk about something that you guys will probably care a little bit more about because it is related to consoles. And uh, this week, it was—it's not even officially released yet, but Microsoft released into its like early access program for people who are in that the new Edge browser for Xbox Series consoles. And the big deal with this is that it has a lot of—I don't want to get too technical—but it really it has a lot of elements built into it that Chrome has built into its web browser which allows a lot of things on series consoles that you weren't able to do before, which is like run Google Stadia inside the browser on your Xbox series console or run GeForce Now or 
run xCloud and be able to use the storage in the cloud instead of having to use your local storage on your console. Matt, how big of a deal do you think this is for series consoles? Being able to run Stadia on the console, is that a good idea for Microsoft? Uh, it's a completely irrelevant one. Really? Uh, yeah. Why? If you hadn't brought it up, I doubt I would ever have known. Why? Why do you think it's irrelevant, though? You don't think people will care about Stadia? Or do you think no. that xCloud will be... I think we've already established that nobody cares about Stadia. <laughs> um, as far as, like, I don't know, like... As far as like GeForce Now, or like I'm already I'm already on a game console. Why do I want to? Why do I want to stream a game from another platform? Well, if, like if I, Stadia ever gets to a point where it makes more sense financially, I guess is the question. Which financially it could. for what? As far as like maybe they get to a point where they're like, here's this huge library. Give us five dollars to play our library, whereas you're you're paying more for Game Pass. If they try to undercut Microsoft mm-hmm. or whatever, I. I would I would enjoy reading that amazingly positive <laughs> breaking move uh, timeline for Stadia uh, because I do not see that I do not see the glorious future <laughs> the state glorious state of future you have just painted um, I I don't think it matters really no what about GeForce and, Now uh, I I think GeForce Now is a better service sort of thing but like I think most people don't even know what it is. Or you mean um, that it exists at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, also, that like you like a I lot mean, of it has been around like, for like four years, and people still don't know about it. So you're no. probably right. <laughs> um, and it's just like okay, like okay. So I have a GeForce Now thing. I'm like, like, I guess my thing is like, why wouldn't I just go and use my computer? Well, some people don't have PCs. But then, how do they have GeForce Now? Well, that's the point. They could now use GeForce Now on their Xbox Series console without a PC to play what library that's on GeForce Now. Hmm. Like, do you get GeForce Now just automatically, or do you got to buy a card for that? No, yeah, I mean, it's just a, a web interface. You don't have to own, like, a, an NVIDIA card or anything like that. Well, then what's the point of it, like, for them, for NVIDIA? NVIDIA's just going to give me a bunch of games? Yeah, it's just a, it's a game service. They don't give them to you. You pay, just like you, you do You pay on a subscription things. thing? Yeah. I guess, like, I don't... I don't I mean, the bigger question is, is there an opportunity for a streaming service on Xbox platforms at all? I don't think so, no. No? I don't think there's an opportunity for them anywhere. At all, period. So I don't see why being on Xbox makes You don't think difference. this is, there's ever, there's ever no one's ever going to crack this nut? You don't think someone's nope. going to figure out a way to make game streaming a success, like, ever? No. Nope. Really? Doesn't make any sense for an interactive platform. Um... It, I mean, it does for obviously for movies and TV and stuff because you don't have to like, worry about inter- you know them reading your inputs. Right. Um, I guess if somebody were to kind of do you literally the Netflix model with a wide enough variety of games uh, running better than they would run on any existing platform for a cheap monthly fee, you could. But I don't know how you make money on that model. I would also um, argue too, this- and how or how you play current games on it, like. At no point do I feel like there's going to be a streaming service that makes my current my hardware in my house obsolete to play current stuff I want to play. And unless I hit a point where I don't want to own any hardware, but I do want to own really high-end display equipment, but I also want to spend money on a subscription, but I don't want to play anything that's more than like less than a year old, 
Like, I just don't, I don't see it like in an inferior way to just playing a game on native hardware when I'm already playing on a, on a next gen console. Like, I just don't see, I don't see the usage case. I, 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 it's right. It's still right in the solution in search of a problem realm for yeah, me. I would also argue that the storage thing, like not having to have to save things locally on your hard drive, isn't that big a deal for Xbox series because it has a terabyte right. hard drive. It makes more <laughs> sense on PlayStation five, but it doesn't even have a web browser at all. So, right. and hopefully that, oh, you know, apparently I, I read somewhere that we're about, we're going to get finally an update on what SSDs we can stick in the PS five in May or June, I think. Um, a little, little late, but uh, better than nothing, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, PS, I mean, yeah, like PS5 had a web browser. I guess that would be more of a question. Because <laughs> it is a problem uh, on PS5. Uh, just being honest, like I didn't think it was going to be as big of a problem as it is. It is a problem. Yeah, the, sure. the hard drive space on PS5 is a problem. Um, yeah, sucks. and I mean, I I would use an external hard drive for the PS4 stuff, but like, uh, I don't know how far along they are. If I don't they have any the, PS4 the... stuff. I just have PS5 stuff, and it's full, and it has been full. And every time I want to play something, I got to delete something. It's become very annoying and legitimately. I still have PS4 annoying. stuff. Like I, I have Street Fighter Five on there and a couple of things. Yeah, I have nothing, no PS4, um, and I'm still. But I'm full. down to like nothing. I got well, no Division space two. left. I had Division Two. I had to take that off to download a game to play. Like if I if I were to play the, the next gen update of Avengers, I would have to delete something yep. for sure. Absolutely me too. So all right, just wanted to throw that by you. That's one of the bigger stories from this week. It just shows you how slow this week has been. Um, yeah. But you're right. Also, it is, you're it also, is the, the lower third, to be fair, is ed, it says edge case. So yeah. it's something that also, like, to be, also to be fair, like if I accidentally open Microsoft Edge on my PC, I close it as fast as I can. <laughs> just like I, I get no interest in Microsoft's browser yeah. for any reason. It's funny how Internet Explorer just got destroyed by Chrome and yeah, it went also, from the called, king to like an afterthought. Edge, fuck you. And they still Edge. try to they like, still like when I get a Windows update, they'll keep installing Edge on my PC. Yeah, like, you want Edge to be no, the, I don't the want default. To be my no, default I do browser. not want Edge no, to be the default browser. I, I would not. rather have Netscape Navigator <laughs> be the fucking. Does Netscape still exist? No, not for very, not for a long does. time. Yeah, most the vast majority of people. If you want to see a blank look, find someone who was born like after 1990 and just say Netscape to them. <laughs> they won't know what the even AOL like, at this point might elude them. Usually, yeah, usually they know what AOL, is, but Netscape is a different. Because AOLs thing. Or, become um, like a joke or a meme at this point. Or uh, dial up. What, what was some of the other things? Um, AOL. And I guess Ask Jeeves is still around. Um, t- tell a 20-something about Usenet if you really want to yeah. get people blown out of the, out of the water. Or GeoCities. Yep. No, GeoCities, uh, <laughs> E-World, yeah, which was Apple's short-lived. Stuff. Or BBS. That's another one. BBSs, CompuServe. Like <laughs> people that still know their CompuServe and ICQ numbers. You know, I'd be interested in a, chat if anybody in chat knows anything about what we're talking oh, about. Oh, of course right they now. do. We have, we, have, we have plenty of 40-somethings. Yeah, yeah. We have, we have people old enough for sure. Yeah, they don't know. But I bet you there's a lot that don't. They're like, what the hell are Matt and Shane, t- is Matt and Shane talking about? I right was now? looking through, a, through something recently. It was a, I think it was a... Uh, it was a, oh, it was a, it was a, it was um, an old uh, episode of X Play that was uploaded. Uh, uh, one of the one of the old fans has been putting up all the X plays in order. I've noticed that, yeah. And uh, one of them, early, early one was uh, from it was from Tech TV era, and it had all the commercials intact. Oh and it gosh! Was like this, like it was straight like off four, the TV. 
Yeah, it was like a four-minute <laughs> ad for CompuServe. I was just like, oh, wow. I remember how excited we were when we got that contract. It's like, oh, CompuServe, we're in the money now. It's like, remember how excited we'd get when like credit card companies advertised yeah, on, like, the, on the network? Well, like, TV, we had great advertisers. We had yeah, like we had BMW and Mercedes and, like, really, yeah. and Range Rover. And then BMW. we went to G4 and it was like Pop-Tarts and like... <laughs> yeah, don't ever forget that the biggest, our biggest, G4's biggest cultural contribution was really tightening up the graphics on level three. <laughs> that's right. Like, For Full Sail University or whatever it was. Knows. Yeah, that went in a lot, a lot yeah. on our on our network. Uh, so anyway, um, there is a new browser. If you do use a browser on your Xbox, it's going to be a lot better. Um, and if you use like a mouse and keyboard... I mean, we've talked about trying to turn Xbox Series consoles into like little mini tower PCs. Like, maybe this is a first step in that direction. Yeah, I mean, for the Microsoft. power is there if you want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. I just for the amount, I feel like the Series X crosses a, a, a monetary line where I'd rather spend a little more and get something more versatile. Yeah, I, I understand. But look, for people who are like, I can't afford to buy a whole other PC, if they start adding like, if they add like Word and Excel and a couple other things to it. It might actually be a functional kind of little workstation yeah. for people. Yep. Um, all right. So we're on to our last topic of Game Face 247. I told you it was going to be a little bit shorter, but not shorter, as short as I thought it was going to be. Um, and the last thing we're going to talk about is a game called, and actually this is kind of the game of this month. It's Volheim. Um, I had resisted playing this game. It had a groundswell when it launched into Early Access, and that's what it's on right now, Steam Early Access. People, It came out of the gate pretty strong. Um, but then after like the first five days that it was on sale, it became like a phenomenon. And Valheim is, and you guys are going to be surprised that I'm even talking about this because I usually do not like this genre. It is a survival game in the vein of Ark Survival Evolved. Um, in fact, that's probably the closest analog. Uh, but instead of being like kind of a caveman in a jungle environment, you play as a Viking who has just died and is sent to basically purgatory. Um, the game starts and you are flying on the wings of a raven. And this raven just kind of drops you into this land. Well, the first thing you do is you create a character. Um, the character creation in this is not very robust. There's like 10 haircuts and like the, it's so zoomed out, you can't even really see the haircuts anyway. Um, so the character creation is very simple. And then the game starts, and you're just being flown in by this raven, and you get dropped down into this wilderness. And then the game just starts. Um, and I have played every, almost every big survival game. I have given this genre so many chances. Ark Survival Evolved, to me... Getting through the first, like, 30 minutes of that game was torture. I don't know if they've mm -hmm. since nerfed it, but literally getting to the point where you made your first tool in ARC was like, I had to use a strategy guide. I'll be honest no, with you. No, that is pretty much how ARC rolls. Is it still that Which way? Pretty much. I mean, it's it's irritating because there is no reason ARC shouldn't be awesome. Yes. It's dinosaurs and cool sci-fi shit. It's a, you know, and, and maybe, maybe Vin Diesel edition will be different, but uh, ARC's... Uh, Ark is basically almost seems to pride itself on its barrier of entry. I'm surprised that they have not nerfed the beginning of that game by now because it was so I had to use a guide to get past it so I could play the freaking game. And even then, 
I got past it, and then five minutes later, I died and had to start all over. Like maybe the console versions have like uh, more tooltips like or a something, baby mode know. or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I, I did stick with it. I kept playing it. Like I ended up getting to the place where I like built my structure and everything, and had a nice house and had started hunting dinosaurs. But it just became a grind because you would like die still so easily, or you would be starving so easily, <laughs> or you would freeze to death so easily. And what this game has done is this is kind of like baby mode survival game. Um, you cannot die from being hungry. It just doesn't happen. It, if, what happens is if, you are, if your hunger meter hits completely to the bottom, it like affects your stamina meter. It makes it harder to fight enemies, but you won't die from not eating. Um, like you won't die from being cold either. Um, again, it affects your stamina, which if you do get caught out in the wild and you don't have much stamina, and you can't fight an enemy, you could then die from that. But you don't die from the things that you usually die from in survival games that make it so freaking frustrating. Um, so they drop you down in this wilderness. There's a raven there that kind of shows you the ropes. He tells you, like, the basics. He doesn't beat you over the head with what you should be doing and where you should go. He's like, hey, there's this place you should check out, but you better make sure you're ready for it because you're going to summon something that will probably kill you. Um, so you go... And you head off in the direction that the raven tells you to go. Along the way, you start discovering like that you can, you can uh, grab berries from bushes. You can punch trees and get wood. You can collect stone that's on the ground. And then just out of curiosity, you open the menu and you just see, oh, okay, I can build my first axe from these stones and this wood that I've got so far. Okay, build the axe. Now you build the axe. Now you can chop down trees, and you can chop down small trees quickly, and suddenly you're getting wood a lot more quickly, and then you keep going towards the direction that they tell you to go. You get there, which is what's happening in the B-roll right now, and there's a cryptic clue that's like, kill this thing's kin, and you'll basically summon this creature. And you're like, okay, well, I don't know what that means. So you start stumbling around more, and the game slowly builds up your skills without threatening you with death. It's like slowly, and it's not even really telling you what to do. It's just your own curiosity will make you start to wander wander around. And because there is a plentitude of enemies that are easy to kill, there's a a ton of food that you can just collect, um, and there's lots of resources that you can easily gather, and you just keep opening your menu, and slowly you start to learn on your own what you're supposed to be doing and how you do it. It is the way... A survival game should have been built from the beginning. I have no idea why they have made them so difficult and so obtuse all this time. Like, it's it's so simple. And yet, that is why the game has become so successful. The barrier to entry to this is, like, zero. Um, eventually, you stumble upon, like, a free dwelling. You don't have to build it yourself. So you don't have to, like, fumble around, like, collecting a bunch of stuff and then, you know, try to learn how to use the interface while you're worried about, like, an, a dinosaur eating your head. Like, there is a shelter there. And if you want, you can start, you can take down a couple walls in the shelter that's there and build your own walls. Or you can blow out a whole side of it, take off the roof, and build it out and make it bigger immediately. And it, you, there's none of this awkward, like, oh, my God, I don't know how to do this yet, and they're trying to kill me, and I'm gonna, oh, and I'm dead. And now I have to start all over again. That's not how this game works at all. It is very, very gentle. It allows you to understand and learn how things work before you're you're required to use those things to keep from dying. And it's such a simple concept. And again, I have no idea why survival games haven't done this before. Now, the game is not 
particularly good looking. You're checking out the B-roll right now if you're watching on the stream. It does have kind of its own art style. It's a, it has a little bit of Minecraft in it. Like a lot of this stuff is like intentionally pixelated. And I believe, I'm not sure of this, but I believe that like a lot of the trees are constructed in a very simple way intentionally as an art style. A lot of the trees are just like those old school 3D trees where there are just like textures crisscrossed that go up the tree. Mm -hmm. um, but when you start fiddling around in its world, that's when you start to discover like the depth in the game. Like for instance, eventually you get to the point where you can chop down trees. That tree falls on top of you, it kills you instantly. But you can start looking at trees in the way that they lean and chop down a tree in a way that not only will it come down so you can get the lumber from it, so it'll come down and take down a bunch of trees with it. So, And then you can collect all the lumber from all those trees. There's all these little things that are in the game that you slowly discover as you just kind of poke around and try to figure it out on your own. Um, combat. Very simple. There's a block. There's a parry. And there's an attack. And that's pretty much it. Like, even the bow, you use the bow the same way you use the axe. You just squeeze the right trigger button, and you hold it in, and you release it. And that's it. It's, it's a very simple concept to understand. The enemies that they throw you at you at the beginning of the game, you can beat them with your fists. You don't even need a weapon. So you're not, like, in fear of dying. And even when you do die in this game, you're not punished all that much. Like, you do lose all your stuff, and you have to make it all the way back to where you died to collect it. But you don't lose anything. You lose like a little bit of your stamina. And like, so it's not like you're completely punishment free. But again, it's not, it's a survival game that isn't trying to make you hate it. And that's the way I, f I feel like most survival games are. It's like, I feel like they're constantly trying to make me not want to play them instead of want to play them. And this game is like the exact opposite of that. It's the other part of it too is that it gates things. So, I showed you earlier, there's that area with like the little shrine or whatever. And basically what they're asking for there is a sacrifice. And eventually I figured out, okay, they want me to put two deer trophies, deer heads basically, on this pedestal. And then it will summon that creature. And that's the boss fight. Now, I probably could have fought that deer boss almost right away. Because I, it's, very, it's not hard to kill deer. In fact, one other cool thing about this game is that the wind really matters. So if you look... In the map, in the top right corner, there's that white arrow. That's showing you the way the wind is blowing. And if none of you have ever hunted deer, especially, the key to hunting deer is to make sure that you're downwind from the deer. If you're upwind from the deer, they know you're coming and you'll never even see a deer. And this game uses this. So you need to make sure you're downwind. And if you are, you can creep right up on a deer because they can't, believe it or not, deer cannot see all that well. You can creep right up on a deer and easily kill two deer, and you can take your trophies back, and you can summon that boss right then. Now, I'll tell you this. You're probably going to die because the boss is not easy to kill, and you do need, like, a better, more evolved weapon than that to kill the deer. But you could do it. It's kind of like Breath of the Wild in that way, where you can go, like, straight to the end of the game, like at the beginning of the game, if you want, and you're good enough to actually kill the final boss. So that's cool. But the other part about it is you learned quickly that those bosses are the gatekeepers to the tools that you need to move on to the next part of the world. And those next parts of the world, like, they'll be, like, you, the, first, the first boss that you kill gives you a weapon that allows you to bust up stones. And there are stones blocking the way to this next area that you need to go to. Now, you can look into that area and you can see, holy crap, there's some monsters in there that I don't think I'm ready to mess with yet. And so... The game, again, teaches you, like, you probably don't want to go in there yet, bro. Like, you want to make sure you build yourself up 
and build up your weapons and your armor and things like that before you go attack it. But you also the game also teaches you that when you're ready for that, go fight the boss, get the tool that you need from killing the boss, go bust those rocks up, and you're ready for the next section of the game. It's just a very slow and gentle roll. Um, the enemies, they're not that smart. Um, it's easy to manipulate them. But again, you're not constantly in fear of dying and having like to backtrack like 20 miles. Um, wherever you put your bed down is where you'll respawn. Uh, so it gets strategic after a while as you start making your way through the world. And here's a pro tip I would give you right away is don't go crazy on building your shelter. Because the other part of this game is that there's all these little details. Like wood eventually will rot and decay. So if you build a big house and sort of the bottom part of it is wood, it will eventually start to collapse and decay. Use When you first start the game, build little shelters that you use to move through the world and put a bed in them. That way when you die, you respawn in that shelter and you won't have to backtrack that far to get to where you died to recollect all your stuff again. But again, the game teaches you. The raven reappears. Like every time you get a new tool, the raven shows up again, and you'll be like, "This is what you should do with this." This is, and it's never like overt, and it doesn't spell out what you're supposed to do. It just gives you hints, but they're enough to tell you what what you should be doing and where you should be going. It's really brilliantly designed, and I think that is why it has really resonated with people. Um, and it also because it is gentle. It's like. I've wanted to enjoy survival games for a long time. I've never found one that I could enjoy until this one. And I think a lot of people are discovering that with Valheim. Uh, the whole Viking theme, like, I don't even really, other than, like, you know, the, the temples that you go to to summon stuff and some of the art, like, it's not a Viking game per se. At least what I've played so far, it isn't. Like, I'm not in, like, a long ship, like, sailing to conquer other lands yet. Um, I'm just like trying to creep my way through the wilderness without getting killed and being strategic with how I set up my shelters. Um, and then there's a cooking, you throw down a campfire and then you put a spit over the campfire, you collect meat, you cook the meat before you eat it. Um, and there is a stamina, stamina and an eating meter, but all it really does is just make you better at combat. So for instance, before I went to fight the first deer boss, I made sure that I slept in my bed for a night and I made sure that I had a full stomach and I was ready to go before I went and fought the boss because it makes a difference in how much damage you do. It makes a difference in how much like damage you do to the trees when you're trying to chop down the trees. There's just all these little systems that when you first start playing it, you don't even know are there. And then as you start tinkering with stuff, it all starts to become obvious. Um, and then the world is very interesting. The creatures are interesting as you start to learn more about the ecosystem and how it works. Like I said, hunting deer. Uh, there are boars in the game that you can tame. Like I didn't even realize that at first. Um, I was just killing all the boars to get the resources from the boars. Um, and then the raven's like, hey, like try sneaking up on one and maybe offering them some of the stuff that you have. And I tried it and I was like, oh my gosh, I just tamed a freaking boar. Like that's how the game works. It is this little world and they're called biomes so each one of them is a biome like this one that you're seeing right now this is the first biome in the game and after you beat the first boss you're then able to access the second biome and because they're all self-contained you start to learn the rules of each biome and the creatures that are in there and the best way to attack them or to tame them it just becomes this very engrossing world that you get sucked into and again i am not a fan of survival games I have been enjoying this a great deal. And here's another thing that I like about it, Matt, is that this is a game that I've been able to play with my Steam Link out in my living room because it's not like 
Twitch gameplay. The enemies aren't like, like, oh my god, I have like three frames that I need to roll before I can avoid this enemy and then counterattack. It's not like that at all. Like, the AI is like kind of dumb, but the combat is also clunky. Like, you don't feel like you have total control. Like, when you first get the bow, for instance, it's almost impossible to kill an enemy with it. You have to aim like five feet above the, the, the animal to actually hit the animal. And then it does so little damage. But if you keep using it, it becomes more powerful. Like if you keep jumping and you can stand in place and just jump and eventually your jump ability goes up. If you keep using your axe, it becomes better at chopping wood. There's just all these systems under the hood that are working that you don't even realize it for the longest time and still, until you start leveling up. Um, and this game was made by like five people. They've sold like five million copies of this game, Matt. They've made like, and it's 20 bucks. So they've made like a hundred million dollars, well, 70 million after Steam takes its cut. They've made 70 million dollars off of this game, Matt. It is amazing. Um, it's a great story. It's a very interesting game. And if you're like me and you've wanted to try survival games and maybe you have tried them, and you have been turned off over and over and over again, this is your jam. This is the one that's going to do it. Like the shelter you're seeing right now, that was already there. I didn't have to build any of this. It was already sitting there, um, and it was waiting for me to come in. Now I can alter it. I can take the roof off, which I ended up doing. You can take out the wall so you can expand like the side of it and make it bigger. You don't have to build from scratch. But again, in the early going, don't go crazy with your structures because you're going to leave them behind, and they're not going to be all that durable anyway. But the other thing, too, is that that stuff stays there. So when you go into the next biome, if you come back, all that stuff's still there. Your fire is still there. You may need to throw some wood onto it to keep it going. Um, But the fire and everything that you've built stays there. Uh, So it doesn't disappear. Um, I haven't gotten to the point yet where I haven't played it enough to see if, like, if I leave and I'm gone for a long time and come back, if it's, like, overrun um, if enemies have, like, trampled it, like, if a big creature has trampled it. Like, I haven't got that far into the game yet uh, to know if it goes that far. But the stuff uh, is still A friend there. of mine who plays the game says that last night his house was destroyed by a troll. Oh, really? Asleep. Really? That's cool. He, he, he got up and he logged in and the house had been smashed by a, by a troll. That's cool the first time. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like you build your, your workbench, and once you have your workbench, that opens up a whole new array of stuff that you can that you can um, craft. Um, there's a crafting tool that you have uh, that's called a hammer, and you could take that out of, outside of your wherever you have the bench, and you can use that to craft stuff wherever you want. Um, fire works like fire. If you run into it, you'll catch on fire, and it can kill you and, and burn you down. Um, death is pretty easy at times if you get overwhelmed by enemies, which doesn't happen that often. But if you do, you'll die. Um, if you get caught on fire, you'll die. If you're chopping a tree and the tree falls on you, you'll die. Um, <laughs> there isn't a lot of health as far as that's concerned. And once you die, the one thing I did, I was pissed off about, and you can see right there, like I died and I went back and reclaimed it. I'm naked. I lost all my armor. And it did take me a long time before I got the right resources that I needed before I could build my armor again. Um, but I've really enjoyed this, Matt. And again, it has been fun to play a game on my TV through Steam Link because it does. I don't need like all those frames or whatever. It's a pretty game. Um, you haven't really seen it in the B-roll, but like up in the sky, there's this gigantic tree that's like stretching across the sky. Like I don't know if eventually you get up there. Like it's, uh, that would presumably be Yggdrasil, the world tree. Probably, yeah. Because you are you are in the Norse afterlife. It yep. seems. Yep, you're in like purgatory. Um, so again. 
I've wanted to like these kind of games for a long time, and it's just never worked out for me. I've just never managed to find one that I enjoyed playing. Um, I will say this, the building, I haven't done a ton of it. The building does take a little getting used to, and, I, and like I was playing this with a controller, and it uses every controller, like every button on the controller, and some modifiers. I would probably recommend playing this on a keyboard and mouse if you can. Um, but you can you can play it with a with a controller. It just you can tell it's made for PC. It'll be interesting uh, to see how many people end up playing it with a controller versus mouse and keyboard. But um, you know, once it comes to consoles, I'm sure everybody will. And it's going to. I guarantee it it's going to. Um, but I've been having a lot of fun with it. Way more fun than I ever thought that I would. And uh, like I said, it's twenty bucks. It's on Steam Early Access right now. And it's really dry. Otherwise, I wouldn't be playing this in the first place. And I'm glad. Like, it's funny how things kind of work out that way sometimes, Matt, where you're kind of forced to check something out because mm-hmm. there is nothing else to really play at the time. And you end up stumbling upon something that you really end up liking. And that's yeah, fine. In, in that me. vein, I would also say keep an eye on uh, the game Maquette. Maquette. I've been seeing, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff running through Sifted on that. Uh, seems like a polarizing game. Yeah, people either really like it or really hate it for some reason. But I think I, I may check that out for next week's show because there's not a lot of stuff coming out, my brother. Yeah, what else are you doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad that that worked out this week that I got to play Valheim, and I'm glad that I got to play it and I got to pass it on to you guys because I think a lot of people are like me and they're sick of these survival games that are just like mean spirited and they're it's almost like they're trying to make you quit playing them. That's how I feel a lot of times playing these games. Not the case with Valheim, and I think that's why. It has become a huge, huge mm. hit. Yeah, I haven't questions? played it yet. I, did, I have had some resistance to it just because, both because of my experience with survival games being unfriendly in that regard, and also because, like, I just did uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Like, I don't want to dive back into the Norse stuff. But I'm stuff, telling you, really. Matt, like, it's not like, like, you, when you're playing it, you don't think that, like, oh, I'm a Viking trying to survive. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just some dude who's like, <laughs> who has, like, like leopard skin armor and I'm just trying to like survive these weird, like the creatures and stuff. I don't associate with like Vikings or any of that. So there are elements of it, like the tree in the sky and the runes that are on like some of the stuff in the game. But otherwise, like it's not like a Viking game per se, I wouldn't say. Um, So I would not let Assassin's Creed Valhalla turn you off from giving this a go is what I would say. Any questions about it, Matt? Not really. I mean, I think you covered it pretty well. Yep. Um, how long do you see foresee yourself playing it a long time? Or are you I kinda... think I'll probably keep playing it until Monster Hunter Rise comes out. Mm. <laughs> so probably another week and a half. And again, I'm enjoying playing a PC game on my couch through my Steam Link because uh, I don't get to do that very often because I usually like Twitch games and uh, they don't work through the Steam Link at all. Uh, so I've enjoyed that. I've also enjoyed how my new TV recognizes everything, including my mm. Steam Link, and automatically switches the input when I plug my controller into my Steam Link and it just appears. Like, I love my new TV for a million reasons, but that's another one. So uh, that's Valheim. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I think you guys should give it a go. It's cheap, 20 bucks, only on PC right now, only on Steam as well. I don't think you can get it on Epic Game Store yet, although I would imagine it's coming. Uh, kudos to the small team that built this. They deserve every penny that they're getting from this game. It's a great story. Uh, to watch five guys who busted their asses for a few years just get instantly rich. <laughs> like, instantly filthy rich. And I can't wait to see what they do with the money that they've made off of it. Look what they did with just five dudes in a garage. Imagine what they're going to do when they have money to actually hire people to offload a <laughs> lot bet, of the grunt I bet work. they'll hire five more dudes. <laughs> they probably and, will. Probably five of their friends. Garage. Yep, and they'll just get a bigger garage. I hope so. 
because obviously it worked. It, it's resulted. And that's the other thing too, Matt. Like, it's not broken. Like, I haven't come across bugs or, like, I haven't had any bugs, actually. Not a one. Unless they're, like, maybe I wasn't supposed to lose my armor when I died. I don't know. That did seem weird because it was really mm. hard to get my armor back again. That might have been a bug. But, like, I haven't fallen through, like, the world or, like, like the terrain in this is kind of crazy. Like, I haven't just, like, slipped down, a, like, a big mountain and, like, went all the way down to the valley and died or anything like that. Like, it's pretty solid for a game built by five dudes that's this big and this expansive. And I have seen, like, some screenshots of people who have been playing it since it launched, and I am pretty blown away by the stuff that they're building. And so, and that has, like, motivated me to keep going, too. I'm like, wow, like, this goes really, this rabbit hole goes really deep. So I'm having fun with it, man. I'm going to keep playing it until something else comes along that I have to play or uh, that I want to play more. So there you go. That's Valheim. Let's see if you guys got some stuff in Q&A for us. Uh, usually you guys already have some stuff in when you see, yep, and you do. Uh, Lesteved, thank you for, uh, the subs that you're gifting to our viewers. That's awesome, man. And thanks to anybody who subscribed with Twitch Prime that I missed. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see if there's some questions here. Emperor Dread, would you play Valheim with friends? Online play seems to be the big draw of it. That's actually a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. And yes, so that is a big part of it is that you can... So when I started, I started my own world slash server. It's called Sifted Land. Uh, all one word. So if you guys want to join, or uh, if you get the game and you want to join, find Sifted Land, search for it, and it's open. You can come and build your your own little homestead inside my world. But you can also go and search the servers. And there's just thousands of worlds that you can join. Um, and yes, you can absolutely play uh, with a teammate. With a team, I don't know how many people are allowed on each server in each instance because I haven't really tried it. Uh, but it's there, and you're right. A lot of people have said that that's kind of their favorite part. It would be nice to have somebody to share the grunt work with as far as building stuff because the one thing I would say that I alluded to that I didn't go into enough detail on before is that I think the building can be improved, and I think that especially is where playing on a mouse and keyboard helps a lot. It felt clunky on a controller it felt like the sticks were like way too sensitive so i tried to like spin something and it would be like woof and like spin like i had to be really touchy with it um and so that's one thing i think they could improve as far as the controls are concerned and obviously having somebody else there to help you build stuff i think would be a huge boon as well so yeah i should have brought that up thanks for uh, mentioning it and uh, i hope to play with one of you guys soon or all of you guys soon if that's possible uh here's one from justin horman now that we're in the quote unquote next gen what do you think was the best feature added to console gaming last gen? Is there some feature this gen you think is, is significant already? And thanks for using my emoji, my smiling face from Ashley and Anything. Uh, let's see. I think we talked about this when we did, like, the end of gen awards a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the free-to-play stuff on consoles is a big deal. Um, having so many free-to-play games on consoles, that was never a thing before. Like... The best you could hope for is, like, a free beta or alpha or whatever. Um, Now there are legit great free-to-play games on consoles that you could really just play forever. Like, Call of Duty Warzone. Just play it forever. You really could. There are some people, that's all they play. It's just Call of Duty Warzone. Um, So I think that's the big shift for me. Not necessarily, like, a hardware thing or anything like that. Um, I mean, so far, and I know Matt will disagree with this, but I, I believe, so far, like, the haptic feedback on the DualSense has been great for single-player stuff. I don't use it in multiplayer, uh, but I think it's really effective, and it surprises me 
a lot. Like when I first start playing a game and a, a part of the haptic feedback will just happen, I'll be like, what? I, at first, I think there's something wrong. I'm like, there's something wrong with my guitar. Oh, there is haptic feedback. I like that. I think it's a pleasant surprise in a lot of games. I think it's been handled pretty well in a lot of games. But again, I only use it for single-player stuff, even in a driving game. Like, I would turn it off um, to be competitive. Now, playing by myself a driving game, I would maybe leave it on. Uh, but if I was going to play head-to-head online in uh, a shooter or a driving game, definitely like a fighting game. No way in hell I would leave that stuff on. Uh, but otherwise, I really like the haptic feedback. What about you, Matt? Uh, well, I did just get an alert that GameStop has PS5 bundles, if anybody is in the market for that. Wait, they just went up now? Because Wario uh, 64 said that they were supposed to go up like hours ago or something. Uh, I don't know. I just got the alert on my phone. My guess is they're gone already. But they're also bundles, and they won't. And GameStop, the thing to remember with them is you can't sell the stuff back to them. Like yeah. you can with other co- other places you buy a bundle. They'll take the stuff off if you want and let you just buy the console. GameStop will not let you do that. You're going to have to sell the stuff on eBay mm-hmm. or sell it back to GameStop, and you're not going to get all your money back. Yeah. Although, to be fair, the bundle I ended up having to get from GameStop, uh, I did keep all the stuff that was in the bundle. The only thing that was in the bundle I didn't end up wanting was Destruction All-Stars, which got canceled, so they refunded <laughs> that. That's a special that was case. Fun. Yeah. That, was, that was about as good as that could have worked out. Um <laughs> I don't know, like, hmm. I mean, the one thing that sucks about last gen is that, you know, Sony went to, like, having to pay for to play its games online. Yeah. That sucks. Um, That's a crabby part. It followed uh, Xbox's lead there. but I guess the, yeah, I guess the wide ad- adaptation of, uh, of kind of the monthly free games for the services was good. Yeah. Um, They're getting good on PlayStation 5, man. Yeah, they're 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 stepping up there. I mean, <laughs> really it's, it's funny to think that for a yeah. while, like the big complaint with PlayStation Plus was that all the free games sucked. Not anymore. Uh, now they they definitely listened to that. Yep. Feedback. Um, yeah, I guess for next gen, I mean, for next gen, it's just like I wanted more power, and that's pretty much what I have. I do I do actually appreciate the faster loading for the new stuff, which is I didn't think that would be as big a deal to me, uh, and I do like the quick resume stuff. Uh, and I didn't really notice that as much until I started playing uh, Outer Worlds again to play that expansion that came out that I hadn't touched yet. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, Outer Worlds is not quick resume properly. Um, when you'd go to quick, it, it'll load it back up on the Xbox Series X, but it will go back to the title screen. Like you, you have to reload your save. And for whatever reason, that really bugged me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'd, I've been spoiled by quick resume. Look <laughs> at that. It's not a thing I even thought I was going to care about. Yeah. But uh, but I do I do use it and like it. Yep. So I guess, yeah, I, 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 as, as annoying as the shortage of, of space is on the PS5, the SSD move, I think, did has proven so far to be the right one. I'll say this, too. Like loading. Yeah. The loading time, the SSD, pretty amazing. Like I was playing Outriders. Mm-hmm. And zap, <laughs> like literally, like I didn't even have time to like put pick the controller up. It was already loaded by the time I did that. Like it makes a huge yeah. difference. Yeah, that's another feature that's really great for sure. And I, I thought it was going to be great, but it's even better than I thought it was going to be for sure. Um, Listevhead asks Matt, "What's your impressions of Wandavision?" Um, I think as Marvel Cinematic Universe connective tissue, it did very well. As a story about Wanda Maximoff, I don't think it got there. Okay. Um, 
Like I like all the pieces of it. I like all the individual scenes. I think there's a lot of great character moments with her and, uh, and vision and Agnes. I think Elizabeth Olsen should be nominated for an Emmy, uh, for that series. What is that line that everyone is quoting? What is what, what grieving is grief if, if not, not for love what is, persevering? What is grief if not love persevering? What a line. Um, like, I feel like whoever wrote that had that in, in his or her back pocket for like four, 14 years and was like, this is where I'm going to use it. Well, it's funny because like when I watched that, that episode when they were in that, I lo- that scene's great. Like, that's one of the best scenes in the series. Um, uh, and when he was about, when they were getting to that line, I thought in my head, because I just seen this saying in, in like a little quote thing. Uh, what is grief but love with but love with nowhere to go? Mm. And I was like, oh, he's gonna say that. And then he said that, but in a better way. Yeah, he said in a better wording. Uh, and then of course there's been the backlash to like people, you know, all the all the film snobs who think that think that like you're stupid if you thought that line was profound in any way. Um, Which uh, (laughs) which I'm just like, look, man, I can talk Fellini and Cocteau with you all fucking day. I am a film nerd to the degree that like very few can keep up with me, but I also teared up when everybody came to the fucking portals in Endgame. Like you can yeah. enjoy both things. Yeah, you absolutely. can like you can like highfalutin, high end film film snobbery shit, and you can love blockbuster action superhero Agreed, stuff. Man. Like yep. there is there they're all man. movies, I and, and I don't care what Martin Scorsese says. It's all cinema. Yeah. So fuck off. Yeah, I agree. Um, stop gatekeeping good movie like what are you even doing what's the point anyway yeah, I, hear you. I don't I, I don't know I don't yeah. I don't like why, why you think that like you're you're cooler or something because you watch black and white movies with subtitles and you refuse to look at the Avengers because I don't know I do both of those things and I like them both yeah, me too. and I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go without both, either Matt. of them I need them both so I don't get that neither um but WandaVision, I did watch it again. I actually did watch because I was curious to see how it hung together after watching the whole series a second time all at once. Um, I will say the second time through, uh, the first time through, I was speculating this was this was Darcy going to do this. Is it, the second time through, all the sword stuff felt completely pointless to me. Oh, all, because I know the sword stuff was going nowhere. The only point, the point of the sword thing is Monica gets powers so she can be in Captain Marvel 2. And all the red, like, like, I don't know why the, why the, why Hayward, the, the bad guy was doing what he was doing. I don't know what the point of that. I mean, a lot of it was just like setting seeds for future MCU stuff, but in terms of like kind of getting to the character closure, I felt like it didn't quite do it for me. And I feel like Wanda, while she had, she's changed tactics. I don't think she's come to terms with the grief. And so the thing I was most worried about with the Marvel cinematic universe TV stuff is I wanted it to matter. I don't want it to be like the old Netflix stuff where it's like like a remora on the back of the of the MCU and like nothing that happens in those shows matters because the, the films will never reference them. Yep. Uh, they you know for all practical purposes the Netflix shows and Agents of Shield are not Marvel Cinematic Universe shows. Like they don't matter. They 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 reference upward, but the films never reference downward. Yeah. We will never see. The old the six Avengers meet re, reunite with Agent Coulson because to the films Agent Coulson died in Avengers one right. and never came yep. back yep. and so I'm I I really hope that they find a way to make it 
matter that you watched WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier when you move forward and watch the movies? Because clearly the movie's going to be seen by a lot more people, but I really hope they don't consider these to be things where it's like, well, we want to make people feel like we're telling a story that matters, but in the end, we can't really change a whole lot of stuff because otherwise people won't know what's going on when they go to see the movies if they didn't have Disney+. Plus. Um, you have to commit. And I think they are committing to the point, that, but, you know, but a lot of the stuff that you see that matters to the universe as a whole only really would need to be summed up in a, in a line in a movie. It's like, okay, Mar- Wanda has a special book now. Yeah. And uh, this, uh, the girl, the girl was a little girl in um, Captain Marvel one is now grown up and she has superpowers yep. done. Like yeah. that's all that really mattered there. Uh, and in the, uh, and in the end, like I really wanted a more, um, I think a more a more cohesive story about Wanda as a character, and I feel like it just didn't quite get there. I think all the pieces are there, but they're not you know, they're not more than the sum of their parts when you put them all together. Um, and it's weird because I'm not gonna I'm not saying I disliked it. I liked it very much. I just came out of it feeling weirdly unsatisfied. Okay. Um, and not because of my fan theories, not because I thought the mutants were going to show up. I never thought the X Men were going to get introduced or anything like that. I just, I wanted Wanda to get her story and I feel like they, they kind of halfway got there, but like they might've gotten there more if they hadn't wasted so much time with sword. They might've had met might've been better if they just stayed in the, in the delusion and worked their way out of it. Um, I don't know. I'm a structure person when it comes to stuff like that. So I liked it, but I'm kind of looking forward to winter soldier, uh, Falcon winter soldier, because I kind of want to, I'm kind of ready for a straightforward Marvel story now. Like, I'm just like, I, I just expect uh, expect Sam and Bucky to just uh, punch a lot of stuff and <laughs> flip around a lot of stuff and and throw some shields and it'll be great. So I'm, I'm hoping for that. Okay. Uh, next from Congrim 1. With the Microsoft and Bethesda deal being finalized, um, is it in Microsoft's best interest to make its future releases um, of the acquisition multi-platform or would they be better off keeping them exclusive to draw support for their platform? We've actually, I think we've answered this one a couple times before. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's there's a the binary answer for this. <laughs> I think it's it's I think it's a case by case basis on each game. To be perfectly honest with mm-hmm. you, I think it's in my in Microsoft's best interest to make Elder Scrolls exclusive. Yeah. I think you're stupid if you don't make Starfield and Elder Scrolls exclusive to Xbox. Yep. Like smaller it's, stuff, like, you, things like Deathloop. Um, yeah, I don't think that's driving console sales. Yeah, like most of the that stuff's not driving console sales, and probably Doom isn't necessarily. Yeah. Like Doom's an edge case. Maybe a timed exclusive on Doom. Yeah, stuff like that. but like I mean, probably timed you, exclusives on everything. To be honest, because like, look, no matter how much whining there would be, people would people would cave and buy an Xbox to play Elder Scrolls. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you, you look, are you, can't you are do this for stupid nothing. if you leave that on the table. Yeah, you can't do this for nothing. You can't just. No. Buy Bethesda and not make anything exclusive. That's no, and silly. with the and with the longevity that Skyrim had, like maybe you put Elder Scrolls Six on PlayStation in like five years. Yeah, you know, like maybe yep. you keep some DLC stuff for yourself or something. Yeah, but I but think like, it's a case by case. The big dogs, yeah, at the very least, need a big chunk. Yeah, of time you didn't pay four billion dollars to to reason. give your competition a Skyrim. You, you, that's not how that works. I know nobody wants it to be that way, but that that sometimes that is how it be. Yep. Um, JM Rain, thank you for all the subs to our viewers. That's awesome. 
Uh, Minority Games, what should Avengers do to turn things around? I think we just spent 20 minutes trying to figure that out, and we came up with nothing. <laughs> did you Did you see Endgame? Because I think time travel is probably the solution there. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't know if there's there's anything. That, I mean, yeah, there is. They, we came, What we came up with is they need to make story DLC for the characters, like legit yeah. story DLC, ditch but the open like, world MMO stuff. Right. But I would also go a step further and say, like, part of the problem is that what they've built is very limited and they need to find a way to to break to break future story stuff out of the mold they're stuck in. You know, it needs to be more than just like, okay, they're doing a thing here. Go to this map and like follow the the target and punch a bunch of guys and get the MacGuffin and then you're done. Like you need to find a way to make some of this stuff feel as dynamic as Spider-Man or stuff like that. Like, there needs to be, uh, it needs to feel less like somebody kind of moving the pieces around in an RPG maker and more like a unique experience for each mission you're on. Uh, that would be what I'd focus on in, in terms of making new story content for Avengers. Uh, here's from Erebus Jones. Do you think Marvel's Avengers would have had more staying power if the loot game had a meaningful and varied impact on the visual appearance of your heroes like other games of this type? Well, that's interesting because one of the things that they are doing is they're removing <laughs> like cosmetic mm. drops from the game. Like, I mean, you can still get cosmetic stuff by spending yeah. currency on that you stuff. are in game too. I mean, they're not yeah. like trying to, to be scummy with that stuff. Yeah, um, and all the stuff you can get from things you earn from playing the game, which is good. But the drops, like they've removed all the cosmetics from drops. So yeah, well, some of the cosmetics could only be gotten through drops, which was annoying because you're completely at the too, mercy right? of RNG. Yeah, the patterns were that were that way. Yeah, um, and that was annoying because it's like, well, certain things you want, you're only going to be able to get them through complete luck. At least this way, you're getting to choose how to spend currency that you consistently build up, and they can then put towards what you want. Yep. Um, like it's, it's in the end, it's a little more of a player choice bonus than a, than taking something away. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like you're kind of, you're kind of torn there. Cause it's like on one hand, yeah, it's nice when loot you get in those games reflects, reflects on your character. But then like, do I want to be playing an Iron Man with like 14 mismatched iron, like armor pieces <laughs> on him? Not really. Like, it's, I mean, does it's, Marvel want you to be able to do that? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's yeah. a, there's a character like image problem there the too. Bi- for, is there a Bible them. that says you can't do stuff like that? You know, that could, there could be like, uh, I can't think of a, of a Marvel game that let you do that. Really. No. You can change, you can change the, the, the general color and then and switch costumes and stuff. But yeah, in terms of just sort of, piecing together like a weird patchwork nonsense thing. Like you can't really do that in any of the Marvel games that I can remember. Nope. Um, so yeah, that might be part of the license. Uh, I don't know what you, I mean, again, that just sort of ties into the fact that you shouldn't have made this kind of game for this, for this yeah. license. It's, like this was not the right kind of game. I think for it's been proven at this point. It's not working. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see. One last question. Uh, here's one from Vincent. Uh, who do you think wins the fight of Left for Dead likes this summer? Aliens Fire Team or Back for Blood? I would say Back for Blood. Mm, that's a tough one. That's a good question, Vincent, because I think Back for Blood will probably be the better game because it's made by the Left for Dead guys. But Aliens has the IP that I think could go. And look, Left for Dead. The fans of Left 4 Dead know that this team is making this game. So they're going to have a build-in on it. Both are going to do well, I guess is what I would mm-hmm. say. Uh, because I think Aliens, the IP, it looks like it's at least passable. Plus with the IP, I think it'll do okay. 
Back for Blood is going to do well because the Left for Dead people are, have been following it for forever and have been waiting for it forever. So I think it's going to be close, to be honest I with you. I think Back for Blood is going to be substantially more successful. Really? Yes. I mean, I was surprised how well World War Z did. So who knows? These games are popular. People really like them. And yeah. if, uh, you know, stuff gets on Game Pass, it always gets like another life and stuff like that. So I don't know. I think they're both going to do well. I wouldn't be surprised if both of them. I think they both do well, but I think Back for Blood is going to do much, much better. Okay. I think Back for Blood is going to be a bit of a phenomenon in part because I don't think it has a lot of competition at that time of year. There's not much competition at all right now. At all, yeah. But, <laughs> really but I wouldn't be surprised if like Back for Blood was like the game of the summer kind Could of be. thing. Yeah. Uh, Get Up Kid, thank you for Twitch Prime. Anybody else drop their Twitch Prime here at the end I can thank? Um, Get Up Kid 1284 to get it all right. Nope. Nobody else waited toward the end. And if I, if you guys did and I missed it, I apologize. You guys know I appreciate it. I always do. So that does it for Game Phase 247 on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. If you're listening to this show out on the internet anywhere, we're everywhere. We're on Stitcher. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're out there. If you're listening to us on any of those We're in your services, face. We're past your face. We're 10 <laughs> feet behind you. <laughs> If you're listening to the show on any of those those spots uh, and you want the show to keep going, you want to keep hearing it, head to patreon.com slash sifted, uh, pledge $4 or more per month, and you get all our stuff on day and date whenever we publish it. Um, you can also help us with Twitch Prime. If you guys are on uh, YouTube watching the show, head on over to Patreon, man. Kick us a couple bucks, even if you're just like, give us a dollar or whatever. It all makes a big difference for us, um, and we really appreciate it. If you want to check out me on Twitter, you can find me at Dinfire. If you want to find Matt, you can find him at Kyle. That's K-E-I-L. And if you can't afford to help us and you just want to make sure that you're watching the show whenever it goes up free on YouTube or wherever, uh, you can follow Sifted at Sifted Game. So on behalf of Matt, I'm Shane Satterfield. We'll see you next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Game Faces up and out. 